Stuart Alexander is a unique guest with the most extraordinary ability. He is a physical medium. If that already sounds like a bit too much for you, as it would have been for me only a year ago, I implore you to first watch my previous episode with investigative journalist and author of Surviving Death, Leslie Kane. Amongst other things, we discussed her research into this phenomenon and her experiences with Stuart. Stuart Alexander is very accomplished because he's been doing this for his whole adult life. I thoroughly trust and believe in no matter what circumstance he's in, he has the highest integrity. He's been extremely private about it. He's not interested in using it to make money. He's just an extraordinarily humble, sincere, devoted person who just wants to sit every week develop his mediumship and let people know that death is not the end. Stuart is a rare example of a physical medium who is widely viewed as genuine and credible and has had no legitimate accusations of fraud to date. There are hundreds, maybe thousands of accounts of people who have experienced breathtaking phenomena with Stuart, some of which we will discuss in this episode. For the duration of this interview, I encourage you to suspend your judgment, but keep your healthy skepticism and an open mind. Before we begin, I would briefly like to mention three highly relevant books. Firstly, Surviving Death, A Journalist Investigates Evidence for an Afterlife by Leslie Kane, the book that changed my worldview and introduced me to the paradigm-challenging phenomenon of physical mediumship. Secondly, Stuart's own book, An Extraordinary Journey, The Memoirs of a Physical Medium by Stuart Alexander. This book not only tells Stuart's story, but also goes in depth into the history of physical mediumship. And finally, Touching the Next Horizon, Experiences of Trance and Physical Mediumship with the Stuart Alexander Circle by Katie Halliwell. <laughs> so to start us off, Stuart, can you give me your definition of mediumship and of physical mediumship? Yeah, mediumship tends to be uh, categorised as either mental or physical. Mm. Now, mental mediumship, with a mental medium, they alone, the medium can see, hear, or sense the spirit people. To see the spirit people, such a medium is referred to as a clairvoyance. Mm -hmm. To hear the spirit people, such a medium is referred to as clairaudience. Or if the medium can sense the spirit people, the spirit well, then that is clairsentience. But it's only the medium that can see, hear, or sense. Okay, physical mediumship is something very, very different. At a physical seance, everyone who participates will see and hear the same thing. Sometimes the spirit people are able to speak in their own voices, remote, at a distance from the medium. That is referred to as direct voice, direct voice, uh, or independent voice. Sometimes the spirit people are able to uh, move things around the seance room, you know, mm -hmm. without contacts by the medium. And sometimes the creme de la creme of all mediumship, to my way of thinking, is when they are able, spirit people are able to actually materialize as, as solid human beings that can be seen in red light, can be felt, can be touched. I mean, you know, there have been one or two extraordinary materialization mediums that's how they're referred to uh, in history quite yeah. a number of you know really extraordinary materialization mediums but that's the difference between mental mediumship where the medium alone can seek hear or feel or sense physical mediumship 
everyone participating in a physical seance will see the same thing, hear the same thing. That's the difference between the two. But physical yeah. mediumship, actually the spiritualist movement as such, was actually born as a result of physical mediumship. And for over 100 years, you know, so many physical mediumship de uh, mediums developed, you know, yeah. within seance rooms. And yet today there's so very, very few, you know, mostly they are mental mediums. And I think that is so, so sad, so sad. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the roots of it, about how it kind of, what you know about how it developed, like the, the, the original kind of, I don't know if there was ever the first physical medium or anything like that, but just a little bit about the roots in general. Yes, it commenced in America uh, with two uh, young girls by the name of the Fox sisters, the Fox sisters, and uh, raps and taps and knocking sounds could be heard in their presence, blah, 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 blah. And really, that's how it was born, you know, born into the well through the mediumship of the Fox sisters. Mm -hmm. And then from then on, it led to people developing mediumship, you know, and generally yeah. speaking, developing it by sitting in what we refer to as circles. That would be a group of people all sat in a circle configuration, sat together, perhaps once a week, twice a week, whatever, weeks and weeks, sometimes months and years to be able to develop contact with the spiritual world. Well, mm. that sadly, over the last few years, that's virtually disappeared. And there are so few uh, physical or oh, circles nowadays where mediums can or people can develop mediumship. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. It's really mind-boggling, isn't it? It's mind-boggling stuff. And we're going to talk more about, you know, the, the possibilities and what you've, you kind of your journey a little bit later and, and what's possible, yeah, within within the seance room. Yeah. Um, but I know a lot of people listening are going to be thinking, wow, this is this is a lot. This is hard to stomach. And we're going to, I guess, address some of that a little bit more later as well. Kind of, you know, how we're going to address the credibility of it and we're going to address how, or I don't know about how, but the fact that it that it seems like this is this is a real phenomena. This this does really happen, yeah. um, as hard as it is to comprehend. Yes. Um, so you told us about the roots. In terms of kind of uh, some of the more notable mediums of the past, I'm going to ask you to to speak about somebody in a minute. But I just wanted to mention a couple of names, just. Um, because I think that, you know they should be mentioned. There, there is definitely going to be some I don't mention. Um, and if you want to kind of mention a few more names, you can. But the names I was going to say is George Valentine, who's yeah. uh, somebody that you you referenced in your book. Yeah. Um, and I just found that incredible that he was able to kind of. I think it was he was able to manifest voices in different languages, yeah. including archaic Chinese. Correct. Um, which, if again you, from your book, I think only a handful of people were able to speak it to the level that he was able to speak it in the seance yes. um at the time and, and it just mind-boggling stuff um alec harris i think is one of the the greatest materialization mediums uh, a welshman uh, i think um eusapia palladino who is is one of the great mediums again she i think she allowed lots of scientists to try and study her um and she's she's very well documented um Franek Kluski with the, the the hand molds and things like that, which I and and Indridi Indridison, who is maybe a bit lesser known, he, he died young, Icelandic medium. But I just he's one I learned about via Leslie Kane's book Surviving Death, and I just think there are some very compelling 
very compelling incidents where he were incident seances where however we want to call it experiences that he was involved in or he enabled um so again the last two kluski and indridison people can maybe listen to my conversation with leslie to hear a bit more about them but all of them if if anybody's interested should should do a bit further research but the person i wanted to ask you to to talk a little bit further about is marjorie crandon um who's one of the better known mediums very controversial in terms of some people are convinced she was a fraud some people are convinced she was you know not a fraud and there is obviously the voice that she could be a bit of both you know like mixed mediumship i, I think that's where a, a seemingly genuine medium also engages in some fraudulent practices maybe they admit it maybe they don't maybe it's intentional maybe it's not very confusing well, and 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 difficult maybe subject to approach but Please, could you take it away and, and talk a little bit about Marjorie and her mediumship? Yes, I will with great pleasure, actually. Uh, and I say that because this is a lady, this is a medium, this is a woman who has fascinated me truly for over 50 years now. And I've made an extensive study of her mediumship. So perhaps, you know, for, for people uh, who will see this interview, uh, let me begin by saying that she was actually born in uh, Canada uh, and at the age of 16 the entire family moved over to Boston in the States and it was there some years later she was to meet and marry a grocer by the name of Earl Rand and she had a baby son to him. Sadly the marriage was not a happy one and eventually they were to divorce with men again in custody of the child. Then she met and married one of the most credible one of the most um, well-known, um, extraordinary surgeons of the day by the name of uh, Dr. Crandon, Leroy Goddard Crandon, a man of enormous social and academic standing. In fact, his book, Surgery Aftercare, was used within the profession over there for many years. Now, upon the marriage, they moved into 10 Lamb Street on Beacon Hill in Boston. Uh, now, it's said that neither of them had any interest whatsoever in spiritualism until, that is, Dr. Crandon read W.J. Crawford's book uh, about the Golliger Circle over in Ireland, the physical phenomena that was occurring in that circle. Right. And this really excited his interest. Sometime later, he and his wife, Minna, um, attended a meeting at the town hall in Boston where the well-known author, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, was giving a talk about survival and communication, spiritualism, mm. of course. And this really excited Dr. Crandon's interest, so much so that he decided that he would form his own circle for experimental purposes. That's all, experimental purposes. Yeah. And the circle was made up of himself, his wife, Minna, who I understand was not particularly interested. She probably sat to keep her husband happy. And Dr. Crandon's work colleague, uh, colleague, Dr. Mark Richardson and Dr. Mick Richardson's wife, and they would sit there around the table, hands resting on the top, no doubt asking, is there anybody there? I always laugh when I say that because that's how we started off many years ago, sitting around the table, is there anybody there? We never got an answer, but anyhow, very soon became clear that Minna possessed some form of psychic energy because whilst her hands were resting on the top, the table moved. If she took her hands away, it stopped moving. Now, to say that her development was rapid would be to understate it because 
very quickly she began to fall into the condition which we refer to as trance. And she was controlled by the Richardson's two young sons who had died in 1909 as a result of the polio epidemic. Wow. Uh, but they would not be there for long because shortly, soon, they were to be replaced by Minna's own brother, Walter. Now, Walter had died in 1911 as a result of an horrendous accident on the railways. And so he began to control his sister and speak through her. But then to say her development was rapid, as I've said, was an understatement because some physical manifestations began to occur. For example, he would speak through his sister while she was in trance, but occasionally he would speak at a distance away from her within the seance room. And there were various other things that, that would take in place. Now, I'll just leave that for a second and move back to 1922. And in that year, uh, a leading journal, magazine of the day called The Scientific American, mm. uh, decided to offer $2,500 to any physical medium who could demonstrate before their carefully chosen academic committee that what was occurring within their seance rooms was genuine and not the products of fraud. Now mm. think about it then, two and a half thousand dollars. Now that's a lot of money today. Back in the 1920s, that was a fortune, yeah. you know? Yeah. Anyhow, it was made up of some of the leading uh, scientists, researchers of the day, but it included Harry Houdini, the well-known mm. anthropologist, of course. Uh, well, by 1924, not a single medium who had taken on the challenge had managed to convince their committee that they were genuine. And then Dr. Crandon took the decision to contact, make contact with the Scientific American to invite the committee to come along to Lime Street to participate in their seances. Now, I have no doubt whatsoever this had nothing to do with the prize money, nothing. Yeah. It had everything to do with the fact that he and the Richardsons were absolutely 100% convinced that what was occurring within their seance room was genuine and not the product yeah. of fraud, that Minna was genuine. Well, the Scientific American Committee had uh, the sub-editor the, the sub of the magazine, they appointed him as a kind of secretary, so he would make extensive notes as to everything that occurred at seances and then send them to the magazine and they would publish, etc., etc. Mm -hmm. Well, she was under strict control, was Minna. Now, Malcolm Baird took the decision that he would use the pseudonym Marjorie for Minna and Dr. Crandall would be known as F.H., reported as F.H., friend, husband. And right. this, one, no doubt, was done in order to protect their identities because I assume that had it become known who they were, it could have done irreparable damage to Dr. Crandon's career. Yeah. But it wasn't long before news seeped out and everybody knew who these people were, you know? And Tender Lamb Street became, you know, well-known throughout. Uh, and I have to say that spiritualists began to refer to Marjorie as the jewel in the crown of spiritualism. And she was also known by many as the eighth wonder of the world. Now, the researchers uh, made absolutely certain that she was under strict body control, that she couldn't be moving around the seance room. And yet the most extraordinary things were occurring. 
So the committee decided that they would begin to bring in certain pieces of equipment, apparatus, whatever you want to call it, to further test the mediumship. And one of those was a microphone which was sealed within a soundproof box. That was placed in the seance room. Okay, then it was connected to a speaker on the floor below. A researcher would sit beside the speaker and the researchers in the seance room would say to Walter, Walter, speak into the microphone. Remember, it was a, within a soundproof box. Yeah. Nobody could hear anything within the seance room. But on the floor below, beside the speaker, the researcher would hear Walter speaking. You know, yeah. that's just one thing. There were many other things. Uh, without showing you diagrams, it would be difficult to explain. But uh, take it from me that some of these uh, pieces of apparatus that the, uh, that the committee brought into the seance room, there was no way that it could be fraudulently, you know, tampered with. Mm. Now, the, it said that the Scientific American Committee was seriously considering awarding the prize to the Crandons. Mm. And then Harry Houdini found out about it, and he hadn't sat with her. And he said, don't do that, don't do it, until I've had the opportunity to sit, sit with her. Now, Ben, the fact is that Harry Houdini was well known for having exposed many, many so-called mediums. So he said that he was going into these sittings with a totally open mind, willing to be convinced. Yeah. <laughs> the world's, what, who by then was probably the world's greatest medium coming yeah. up against the world's greatest escapologist magician, you know? <laughs> yeah, it was ridiculous, you know? And then he went into print after four sittings with a booklet Houdini exposes the tricks used by the Boston medium Marjorie. Mm. And so it went on. So it went on. Now, I have to say, some years ago, I was very, very fortunate to be in contact with one of the daughters of Dr. Richardson, Dr. and Mrs. Mm. Richardson. And her name was Marion Nestor. And she was actually a staff member for a number of years at the American Society for Psychical Research. And it was just such an honour and a privilege to correspond with her by letter. Yeah. And on one occasion, she, she sent me uh, an article that she had published uh, in, I think it was the magazine Nature, I think it was, and, and it was headed, I was there. And she was able to describe what she actually witnessed. You know, it was extraordinary. And she told me, she said, Stuart, she said, my parents... Oh, they were so angry. She said, so many times the sole topic of conversation around the dinner table was the latest controversy to strike the mediumship. And, and uh, Dr. Richardson would refer to the researchers as those bloody-minded researchers because he said, immediately following a sitting where these researchers, you know, took part, they would be absolutely convinced everything was genuine and some would sign affidavits to that effect. Yet yeah. by the following day, they'd had afterthoughts and demanded more sittings. And so it went on and on and on and on. And I understand that the latest accusations that have been made, all these sceptics, they deal in truth, half-truth, fiction presented as fact, you know, 
selective information, all to 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 uh, make sure that the the listener, because these Marjorie mediumship has been broadcast on the wireless, you know, dramas, also television production, many many articles, books have been written, and so all to convince the viewer, the listener, the reader that she was an out and out fraud. None of them ever mention the phenomena that cannot possibly be explained away. It cannot yeah. be explained away. They all ignore that. And the latest thing that I've just heard is now accusations are being made. Apparently, sometimes Minna, Marjorie, would sit in the nude and mm. she would seduce wow. the researchers to keep the researchers <laughs> quiet. Well, all I can say is that if those researchers were alive here today in this well, they would be sowing these people that are saying that. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's horrendous, isn't it? You know, yeah. it's absolutely right. So I'm 100% certain that the Marjorie mediumship was genuine. It wasn't partly fraudulent. It wasn't partly genuine. It was totally genuine. I've not the least, and I'm saying that based on 50 odd years of close research. Yeah. And and you you have researched people that you've ended up thinking, okay, they were not genuine, or you've also sat with people, you've sat with other mediums, and you've had incidents where you're like, oh, okay, no, they are they are not who they say they are. That that you know, you've had moments where alarm bells go off and somebody does something or breaks, you know, breaks character for a moment yes. and, and let something slip and you clock it, you know, don't you? Because you, I think at heart, you were a skeptic, right? Because oh, yes. I think there's there's two ways. Skeptic has come to mean somebody that, that wants to dismiss things out of hand, but a, a proper skeptic is somebody that just investigates, right? And questions things. Yeah. Stanley Krippner, somebody I spoke to on this podcast, he would call people that you're referring to scoffers, people that just they want to dismiss it however they can yes. in whatever manner, you know. Yeah. Um, but you're a skeptic yourself, I think, in some ways. I certainly started off that way, you know, because yeah. when I became involved in spiritualism, seriously, I knew nothing about it then. You know, that's in fact, let's talk about that next. If you could tell yeah. me about how you because you got involved via a book, uh, you know, you got interested into kind of spiritual topics. It was on the edge of the etheric by Arthur Finley. Right. I, of course, became open to these topics via a book, uh, Surviving Death by Leslie Kane, which you wrote a chapter for, which we can talk a little bit more about later. Yes. Um, but yeah, so tell me about about the book and about how about how it happened for you and how you became interested and open. Well, I would say until I was 22 years of age, I had never given any thought to spirit. Not, not really, you know. Yeah. If I had, I would have imagined, like most people in ignorance, you know, mm. I would have imagined people sat in dark rooms, hands on table, you know, asking, is there anybody there, that kind of thing. And, you know, that was my ignorance of the entire subject. I knew nothing about it, you know. And then my brother purchased... This book, On the Edge of the Etheric, which of course was is a classic within spiritualism, and it featured the medium, the extraordinary medium, John Campbell Sloan. And my brother purchased the book, he read it, passed it to me and said, Stuart, read this, and then we'll we'll talk about it. I said, oh, right, okay, mate. I had no idea what it was about, and he gave it to me, and I read it, and I... <laughs> 
I couldn't believe what I was reading. This introduced yeah. me to a whole new world, like, you know, extraordinary. It really affected me. Uh, so much so that my brother and I began to read many, many books about spirit, particularly physical mediumship, because that is what was featured within Arthur Finley's book on the edge of the etheric through John Sloan. And then eventually we began to occasionally attend the local spiritualist churches. And it all really went from there, Ben. We were invited uh, on one occasion to attend a, a home circle. We'd never sat in the circle before, neither of us. We didn't know what to expect. Apparently the medium was a trance medium. We'd never seen anybody fall into trance. So we thought yeah. this will be interesting. And the old saying, you never look a gift horse in the mouth. We've, we've got to go. You know, so we went and we sat there. And there was probably about, I don't know, uh, 10, 15 other people in the circle. It was a big circle, you know. Wow. Um, and the medium fell into trance. It was held in, uh, shall we say, dim red light. The seance was held at not darkness, dim red light. The medium fell into a trance state. And then he was... Um, a spirit person began to speak through him. He was controlled by a spirit person. We then spoke for about three quarters of an hour. We hadn't a clue, my brother or I. We didn't understand what on earth he was saying. We didn't. You know, it was all philosophical and, and we just didn't understand. And at the end, the medium's wife said, right, we'll go around the circle and I want to know if you saw anything, felt anything, sensed anything. Every single person, oh, yes, I could feel something. Oh, yes, I could see this. Until it came to me, no, my brother, <laughs> no. We, we went a few times, but it became embarrassing because we were the only ones that never saw, felt or said, and we couldn't understand for a second what this spirit person was talking about, you know. Yeah. That's how it all really, that's how it began. And eventually I decided, probably two or three years later, that for experimental purposes, I would form a circle to run from my home and it was made up of family, friends and our next door neighbours because they were very interested and we would just sit there for an hour or so and very, very little, if anything, happened at all, you know. But we would sit in total darkness. I would make sure the room was total, made totally dark and we would sit there and listening to music and, you know, the thing about it was that although very little, if anything, happened at all, it was just nice for us all to be together, to leave the world outside, all of our worries and concerns and everything. They didn't belong within the room where we held the seances. So, yeah, it was just nice to be together, to be as one together. And I often think when circle, when people form circles and after a few weeks they get nothing, and I've had so many emails or, or people talking to me direct saying, what do you think, Stuart? You know, nothing's happening. And I look, just enjoy being together. Just sit and leave everything to the spirit world, you know? Um, yes, we've all got expectations when we sit, obviously. Uh, but the important thing is just to be together in harmony, listen to nice, gentle songs, and leave the rest to the spirit world. And that's what we did. Uh, and it all began for me, mediumistically, when oh, many months down the line, my brother rang me uh, one night and he said, oh, he said, Sue, that was his wife at the time, he said, Sue and I are just going to have a little sitting 
seance. Uh, would you like to come? I said, yeah, I'll, I'll come, mate. So I went. And we, the three of us were just sat around the table listening to soft music for about an hour. And I just started to think, you know, just started to think about the cup of tea that we would shortly be having and the biscuits and the cakes. That was the highlight of those nights because not the other hand. And suddenly I heard in my left ear a voice, most extraordinary. It said, switch the light out, switch the light out, continue to sit. And the strange thing was, Ben, I did, it didn't shock me. I just, you know, just listened to this voice. And my brother said, oh, shall we bring it to an end and we'll put the kettle on? I said, no, just turn the light out, mate. And without asking, to, he switched the light out. And immediately as the light went out, this something came towards me. I could feel it come toward. Next moment, he was inside me and I was outside me. And I looked and I could see myself and my mouth open. And a voice said, I come speak, brother, sister. And no sooner was that said, then he was out and I was back in. And that was the beginning. And that's serious. That's exactly what happened, you know? Wow. Yeah. And it all went from there, but it took years and years and years. So it was years until something happened. Yeah. It was probably two or three years before that event. Uh, then after that uh, we would sit and not always not always sometimes we would have what we call blank sittings where seemingly nothing would happen but if this guide came through uh, then he would only ever speak a few words and it took Mm. a long long time you know sitting 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 months years before gradually you know this spirit team that work with me today uh, actually you know, came together, yeah. beginning to work with me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So to go back to that first time, in fact, before the first time as well, I bet every, in those years where nothing was happening, I bet every time, you know, somebody accidentally sla- smacked their foot on the floor or somebody dropped something or, or a wind blew, I bet, you know, everybody was thinking, oh, is it, is this it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so tell me about the, the moment when it first, when, when that first happened, when you heard, turn out the light, continue to sit. And then you, you explained, you felt this presence approaching you. Can you kind of expand on it a little bit and, and just give me any other feelings you had, sensations or what your memories are of, A, this thing, this it's feeling approaching you and leaving you and you yeah. returning to your body, just all of it, really? It's very difficult, Ben. What, what I will say to you is this. The voice spoke in my ear, switch the light out, continue to sit switch the light and it just keep repeating 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 were you were you worried at that point no, were you no, afraid no, or anything that was that's the strange thing i was just felt trapped. normal just, yeah just normal yeah. and it kept repeating repeating and then as i said my brother said well shall we bring it to an end and we'll put the kettle as said mike switch the light out and he didn't even ask why it re- and he switched off the light as the light went out he came towards me and as he did so every muscle every nerve everything in my body began to jump 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 wow. I remember that real clearly jumping jumping jump and the next moment i was outside myself and i was looking at myself and then i saw my mouth open and those words came out i come speak for the sister no sooner had those been said than he was out and i in, in the blinking of an eye i was back in 
It was quite extraordinary. That's all I can say to you, Ben. Quite extraordinary. How do you describe the indescribable? You know? Yeah, I know. In your yeah. book, you said something to the effect of like um, where, the reptilian feeling kind of left you yes. or something like that. And I, I guess you can't really kind of expand on that any more than, you know, that's your best attempt yeah. at trying to trying to put words on it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah Does it still feel the same? No, 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 no. It's always no. different. Remember, okay. Yeah, I remember now that I've been sitting for many, many, many years. I mean, that present circle has been sitting for over 40 years now, every week, mm. about yeah. Christmas and holiday vacations. Yeah. Uh, we've been sitting for 40 years. But it's still, um, it's difficult to explain. We play the same yeah. piece of music every time. And that, for me, is like a trigger. Mm. You know, I, that music has got to be played, the same piece of music, and it's like a trigger, and no sooner does it start that within seconds, I feel like an energy in my body. I, I absolutely feel it on my head, round my head, wow. and then very, very quickly, I've, I've gone, you know? Yeah. And I don't yeah. know anything, you know? Yeah. And then the spirit people take over. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Um, so again, to go back to that first time, I be, again, from reading from your book, um, from my memory, I think after the first time, you were not keen, not in the slightest, to do it again. You you kind of, you, you've had yeah, a bit yeah. of walls come up and you were like, oh, so tell me a bit about that and where that came from and was it to do with pain or discomfort or, or just fear or what? Yeah, kind of expand on it. It wasn't to do with pain not at all nothing to do with pain but i suppose it's like anything that i mean think about it ben it, it was an extraordinary experience to say mm. the very least you yeah. know and i was nervous about it yes i admit it i was nervous about it uh, yeah. but you know over the years well it wasn't long before i reached the stage where i thought trust them they know what they're doing we, we aren't a clue you know, we're just instruments, if you like, of the spirit yeah. world, of the spirit. It's like a team, you know, it's like a team. Uh, yeah, so I can't say it was painful, not in the least, but certainly at first I was nervous about it, and that's yeah. the best I can say, really, you know. Yeah. I, and also, I've got to also say, this is important, and I think any medium when they begin to develop, if they're honest with themselves, they must wonder, because I certainly did. This was going to be my next question. You beat yeah. me to it, but carry on, please. Is it me? Is it me? Yeah. Have I conjured this person up in order to meet expectation? Is it an yeah. element of myself? Is it wishful thinking? Is it this? Is it that? You know, so all these thoughts go around. I mean, and if you're honest, obviously they do. The ground mm. in your mind constantly. And I, you know, I was doubted it the time. It can't be, you know, but and then one night, my this this is probably months and months and months after this began to happen. Mm -hmm. Uh one night my wife was uh, going off to night class and I said to her, I said, just before you go, I said, write something down on a piece of paper seal it up in an envelope i said give it to me and i'm going to ask white feather that was the name of the guide 
Whitefeather, if he can tell me what you've written, and if he can do, then I know, beyond question, I know that he's genuine and it's not an element of myself. Oh, right, she said. So she wrote something down in an envelope, sealed it up, gave it to me. She went off to night school. And I sat at the table looking at this envelope thinking, well, what do I do? So I put it to my forehead. <laughs> this is true. Yeah. I put it to my forehead and I said, Right, white fella, come on, tell me what have you, what has she written? What has she written? And I must have been sat there for half an hour with this. <laughs> to my old spouse, when I say this, to my forehead. And then suddenly I saw in my mind's eye, I saw a riverbank and the sun was shining and there was a dog running up and down, barking up and down. So I thought, oh, nice. And yeah, she came home, I said, uh, what did you write then? She said, well, open the envelope, and I looked, so I opened the envelope, and I read, and she put uh, a riverbank, the sun is shining, and there is a dog running backwards and forwards, barking. That's it. I thought, yeah. that's it. He's genuinely is, you know, it's not a part of myself. He's, you know, he, he's definitely who he is, not me. It's nothing to do. Well, that certainty lasted for about a week or a fortnight. Then I thought, hang on, it's telepathy. Yeah. <laughs> it's telepathy between us you see but then yeah. it all altered one night I have to tell you I don't know if you've heard the name Leslie Flint's Ben Leslie in, Flint, in your book yeah yes well Leslie Flint was one of, yeah I, I speak about I, I write I've written about this in the book but it, it was such a wonderful occasion Leslie Flint was probably the finest direct voice medium in this country, in the UK, for many, many years. And I was very, very fortunate. To... Sorry, Stuart, just to cut in really quickly, yeah. just to say again, in a bit, because you mentioned it earlier, direct voice, but just for anybody that really is unfamiliar with it, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's when a voice will seemingly speak from a point in, in space near, where well, it doesn't have to be near you necessarily, but somewhere in the room, and it doesn't seem to emanate from yes. where you're sitting and it might not sound like your voice. In fact, it might sound completely different. It might be a woman's voice. It could be a different language, um, yes. but it's in essence, it's a, it's a different voice coming from somewhere else in the room that maybe speaks to somebody individually or just generally to the room. Right. It's absolutely hundred percent correct. Yes. And this Great. is what okay. happened with Leslie Flynn's the voice. Sometimes he would be speaking at the same time as the voices were speaking. You know? Right, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and we were very fortunate, my brother and I, and our wives, to travel to London, which was quite a journey for us from the north of England, uh, to actually sit with him. And uh, such a wonderful, wonderful experience, you know, to be there. And people would go from all over the world to sit with him, you know? Yeah. And to sit there and to hear... Uh, people's loved ones coming through and speaking in children. It, I can't tell you what, what an honour it was, what, what a privilege it was to be there. Anyway, uh, oh yeah, I remember something else. Uh, anyway, uh, so we had that sitting, which just for this world, it was wonderful. Uh, and then I arranged for us to sit again with him. And we went along, and I should say that, should tell you that this was literally a few weeks following the passing of one of my grandmothers, 
who she was very very important in my life she was more or less like a mother figure uh, and she was admitted into hospital uh, a week or two before she passed over and the family would go and see her to sit around the bed and talk to her and anyhow on one occasion we were there at the hospital and as we were leaving uh, the families were saying well I can't come tomorrow night I can't come tomorrow night and no one could go except myself uh, and I thought well so I went the following night and I'd no sooner driven away to go to the hospital and apparently home telephone rang my wife picked it up and it was one of my uncles and he said tell Stuart not to go uh, Granny's uh, is dying uh, but it was too late I'd already gone so I got there and she was in a private ward that moved her into a ward on her own I sat at the side of the bed now something happened between us that nobody knew about and nobody to this day knows about nobody I sat with her for about three quarters of an hour and eventually I stood to leave and as I was leaving so uh, sons and daughters my aunts and uncles were, were all there you know and I left and the following morning the phone rang and I picked it up and it was my uncle and he said oh sorry to tell you Stuart granddad last night I said right a couple of weeks later we were at Leslie Flint's and part of the way through the seance suddenly my grandmother started speaking to me and she mentioned what happened between us that nobody on this earth knew about and I knew it was her I knew it was her well, can you imagine yeah. how I felt about that then you know yeah. this woman who was like a, a mother figure to me it was just extraordinary she'd finished she, oh and the way she spoke and, and the way that she spoke about my grandfather you know uh, was unique to her and that is the way she spoke Everything, it was her, you know, the way she spoke. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she went, and the next voice was someone who claimed to be white. And I remember white, thinking... Sorry, you just, you cut up then. You, you said white feather, yeah? Yes, that's right. This guide who'd been working through me. Now, I should tell you, and I forgot to mention, whenever white feather controlled me, spoke through me, that my left hand would only come like as if it was deformed as if it was deformed it would uh, curl in and still, yeah and it still just to this day as if it was yeah actually deformed uh anyway uh so this voice starts speaking introduces himself as white feather and immediately it sprang into my mind i thought this is my opportunity to find out if he really is who he claims to be but it's not yeah. me that he is a separate individual what can i do and it suddenly occurred to me, I said, White Feather, can I ask a question? He said, yes. I said, in life, did you have a physical deformity? And as quick as that, he said, do you mean my left hand? And never doubted him since. That yeah. really convinced me that it was nothing to do with me, that he was a separate individual that worked yeah. through me. Uh, so, you know, it was a wonderful occasion to say that. Oh, and I have to tell you that... Following each sitting, um, Leslie Flint's uh, partner uh, would um, ask if we wanted to do a, a copy of the recording of the sitting of the seance. 
And we would always say yes. So a week or two later, it would come through the post. And I'd, almost, I'd forgotten this actually until the other day when I was looking through some of my past letters, my files. Uh, and he, he sent the recording and there was a letter inside from him. His name was Bram Rogers. Uh, and I read the letter just the other day, which I'd totally forgotten about. And he said, whilst I was doing the recording for you, the copy of the recording, he said, I couldn't help but listen to it. He said, and I honestly think from what I heard that when the time comes for Leslie to stand aside, to stop, you, you may be taking over from him. And I thought, you know, what what wonderful encouragement that was, you know. Yeah. And I'd honestly forgotten about it, Ben, until I read it just a few weeks ago, you know. Yeah. Wow. So there we go. And it and in a lot of ways you did. Um, like you said a minute ago that people used to travel from across the world to go and sit with Leslie. And I suppose the same could have been said, of, uh, could be said about you, right? People have traveled from across the world to come and sit with you in public and private seances. Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my biggest fear has always been, and it is a concern, you know, and, and people say, well, why should it be concerned? Because it's nothing to do with you. You're in trance, but it is a concern. I wouldn't be human if it wasn't a concern. And the concern is, if people have made a long journey to come and sit with me, mm. you know, I always think, I hope they're not going to be disappointed. You know, I hope the spirit world are able to work you know, in, in, in a good way, you know, uh, in an evidential way. That's important, an evidential way. So I've always been, cons and I always am, before every single sitting where guests come along to sit with me, I'm always worried, you know, yeah, because I want them to see the best, you know? Yeah, 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 I understand. Because, um, yeah, it must be hard, because obviously it's totally out of your control or mostly out of your control i suppose you can kind of try and keep yourself in good form and and you know good sleep and good diet i suppose that would help i have no idea um but i wouldn't imagine as much more you can do there isn't there isn't at the end of the day it's in their hands and it's not in our hands all we can do ben is to present to them the best possible conditions we can and for us the best possible conditions is first of all everyone who sits should be in perfect harmony you know, uh, the same hopes, the same aspirations, but in perfect harmony so that they come together and become one united all. That's what yeah. is so, so important. And then we totally black out the room because we've always been told it's easier for the spirit world to work in black conditions. And I'll explain why, if you wish, in a moment. Uh, so that's what we do. And then... We play the music and then we are in the hands of the spirit world and we leave everything to them. Everything. Yeah. Yeah. I will let you be the chance in a minute to go into kind of the things about why you sit in darkness and things like that. If you'd like, I'm going to ask you kind of the general procedure, but um, just to kind of give a little bit more background information. So thousands of people have witnessed your, you know, the phenomena produced in, in your seance room. Right. And I would say tens at the minimum, quite possibly hundreds have written about those experiences in various articles and books and, and things like that. 
you've sat with researchers, you've sat with journalists, including the amazing Leslie Kane, um, who's written about her experiences in her book, Surviving Death, that we mentioned earlier and we'll mention again later. Yes. Um, long story short, your reputation is stellar and you're, you're widely regarded as one of the greatest, the most credible physical mediums in the world. Um, and also, yeah, one of the most developed physical mediums alive today it's quite a resume um can you talk me and and us the people listening that are unfamiliar with this through a typical seance um like kind of the behind the scenes you know what goes into setting it up and and what's the procedure and i guess what can happen not necessarily every time because i know it's different it's not like uh you know it's not like putting a film in a film a vhs player and you're going to see the same thing every time it's it's different so but give me the kind of general you know, the general idea, the general procedure and, and, and what can and, and does take place. Yes. If you don't mind and, and take as long as you want and go into detail on whichever points you want with this. Okay. Before I do that, then, can I first of all just correct something you said? Please, please. <laughs> when you said journalists, the, 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 what I will say about that is no, I've not allowed journalists ever to come. You see, at the end... Of except the, Leslie, then. Except Leslie, and I'll go into right. that. But the main reason is I have absolutely no interest whatsoever in publication of any kind. I, I haven't, and I mm. never have. What I do, I do uh, for people, you know, yeah, to help them, to, to make them appreciate and realise that this is only the beginning of a long yeah. journey, you know, the earthly life. Uh, you know, we've had people come to us who've been in the depths of mourning because of lost loved ones, you know, mm. and they've left after a seance, they've left us, you know, totally different people, you know, and to be able to be a part of that, to see that on so many occasions is just, just wonderful, you know. So, mm. journalism, publicity, honestly, I'm not interested. The only reason I've agreed to this interview and to the past interviews is because it was repeatedly pointed out to me that if I was to do this, if I was to give these interviews, then it would be an opportunity for me to speak a little bit about my book because I see the book as a kind of legacy. Because I think to myself, thank you, I think to myself that once I've left this world, then hopefully the book will continue to speak for me. You know, yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. You know, so I'm not interested, and I never have been interested in publicity. That's not the reason why I've spent so many, many, many years developing. You know, it's to be of help to people. You know, to to share with them this wonderful reality. You know, of yeah. survival and communication. You know. And to to add to that as well, I, I'm very aware of the fact that you've never done this for the money. Um, you know, I mean. Nobody, you can't go on Stuart's website and book, uh, you know, something to, to pay £1,500 to go and sit with him and see uh, something fly around the room. It's not how you work. You've almost, you may have, you know, you may have done some public seances where you've taken some money in the past, but that's very different to the fact that you've done thousands of private seances with people you don't know personally, you know, friends and friends of friends and for free you've done it to spread the message that you want to put out there yes i have but it all depends because from time to time even with the guest circle people have been charged the nominal sum you know mm. uh, for reasons <coughs> that you know from time to time we will 
travel here and travel there and travel there. Everyone's got to eat, Stuart. We've got to eat. (laughs) Nobody's going to hold that against you. Exactly. We've got to pay our way in life. But having said that, I'm not talking about ridiculous amounts of money. Not at all. That's not the reason I'm in it. And we were saying before we before the the recording began that you've lived in the same house for for fifty plus years. Yes. So this is not you're not somebody that's you know trying to no. live a certain lifestyle and you're Absolutely. happy with with what you have and you just wanted to yeah, share this with the world. Indeed. Now, in regard to Leslie, yes, she is a journalist. What happened? And I don't know if she's already told you in her interview, but she made contact with me by email, and as soon as I saw the word journalist, no, you know, but then I would never be rude, you know, Uh, I'd never do that, and I replied in a nice way, you know, and then she replied, and over a period of time, you know, email, 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 I come to, I, I started thinking, this lady sounds very genuine, you know, very, very genuine, it's not a question of you know, uh, media, you know, blah, 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 blah. But she wanted to see for herself, you know. Yeah. You know, and you, you get feelings about people. And I got this feeling about Leslie. And over a period of time, I realised that her intentions were good, you know, and nothing to do with, you know. Uh, yeah. And so that's how we really, and then we became friends, you know, over a period of time. She's genuine, she's sincere, she's a lovely lady, full stop, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's how that went. Now, to answer the question you originally asked, which is <laughs> about the circle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, about the general procedure, right. how it works, what's the kind of, yeah, how, how it goes. Okay. I mean, for somebody that has no idea about this. Right. Um and obviously you can go into details with things like, cause I know full well that you are tied to the chair and things like that. Yes. You can go into whichever details you want, but try and paint a picture yes. for somebody that has no clue uh, how, how it goes. Yeah. Well, I must start by saying to you that my mediumship functions uh, whilst I'm in the, not always, but generally speaking, let's say 90% of the seons, I am in the condition known of as trans. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, in the first few years, when I developed trans, I, I knew everything that was being said. I could, but I couldn't stop it. And that's wow. one of the reasons why I was so sceptical as to whether or not it was me, or yeah. you know, uh, and I couldn't stop it. And it took many years before I eventually started to fall into the condition where I knew absolutely nothing, totally unconscious, if you like. Wow. Um, and so. White Feather was the very first one to communicate through me, and he was there for quite a long period of time before eventually this little boy arrived by the name of Christopher. And Christopher's responsibility was to always to lighten the atmosphere within the seance room. You know, when people come along to sit in a dark room at a seance, if they've never done it before, they can be, understandably, they can be very, very nervous. Well, yeah. his responsibility was to lighten the atmosphere, and he does that in an extraordinary way. You know, within set, within minutes, shall I say, within minutes, even if somebody enters the seance so very, very nervous, they've totally forgotten the nerves because of him and the way he speaks to them, because it, everything is so normal, and he's so normal, you know? 
so that is his responsibility. And so the, there was the two of them. There was White Feather, and then he would be replaced part of the seance by Christopher. And then eventually, years later, then this lady arrived called Frida Johnson. And it was her responsibility to um, to present survival evidence, which to me is everything. That is so, so yeah. important, vitally important. Yeah. You know, it's all right, physical things happening within the seance room, but if there's no evidence to back it up, what's the point? You know, so yeah. her responsibility has always been to present survival evidence to and we we will circle back to to evidence as well oh, different okay. kinds of survival evidence okay. we'll come back to that after so yeah okay and then uh, walter stinson arrived marjorie's brother minna's brother yeah. and he said right from the beginning that he was coming back to complete the task he commenced all those years ago through his sister's mediumship you know Wow. And at yeah. first, I have to tell you, Ben, that I was very, very sceptical. I thought, I can't believe this. That he's, I just couldn't believe it, you know, that he mm. actually, you know, decided to come back. And it was a long time before eventually I, I come to accept him as Walter Stinson. Yeah. And yeah. then I suppose I thought to myself, well, it didn't surprise me because I'd spent over 50 years researching the Marjorie mediumship, you know, so I thought, well, that's the reason he's being drawn to me. It must yeah, be, you know? Yeah. So, so Walter, and then we have uh, Dr. Barnett, and he is responsible for healings, which mm. he has done some extraordinary healings, but not always. You know, sometimes he's tried and been totally unsuccessful. Yeah. So, I, again, I hope to circle back to that yeah, as well. Okay. After. So I'll stay on. Yeah. <laughs> right, okay. So do you want me to describe what it's like when we have guest sitters, or do you want me to just describe the home circle? I mean, it's a good question. I suppose it's whatever you feel more comfortable with, really. I mean, I don't mind too much. If there's major differences, um, are there major differences? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. With the home yeah. circle, the spirit... People, we call them the team, the spirit team who work with us, we're constantly working on uh, improving the mm, yeah. manifestations. The, the In order to display them when you do a public one. Yes, that's right. To make it more, right. you know, they never stop trying to do more and more and more, you know, to, yeah. to, um, to present different forms of physical manifestations. Um, or, or to better them, shall we say? Yeah, you know. So, so let's say it's like an experiment constantly. You know, it's the laboratory of the spirit world. The home circle mm. is the laboratory. Now, if we have guest sitters, it's not the laboratory of the spirit world. That's totally different, you know. But yeah. they work on improving the contact to present. You know, more evidential um, manifest. I, I, I suppose let's talk about if there's a guest. Let's almost kind of try and put the the listener or, or viewer into the you know imagine so they can imagine that they're coming to sit with you and and this is how it would go. Yes. Um, if that's okay, yeah, so absolutely. kind of they, they. So I guess we can start from maybe you know just before you all enter the room or, or something like that. Okay. Okay. Well, <clears throat> if we have a guest circle, so called. So there will always obviously be myself, 
the lady in whose home we hold the seances, uh, and my circle leader who, and his wife, who have been at my side now for over 40 years as circle leaders, and then the rest would be guest sitters, okay? Now, sometimes I have to say that I do travel to Norfolk, which we were talking about earlier, where yeah. my friends Alf and Jim Winchester, where they live, and they've been behind my mediumship for many years, 30 years now, I think it is, yeah. So sometimes my wife and I travel there and we hold seances there for guest sitters, you know. So let's just say, right, wherever it is, it doesn't matter whether it's here or in Norfolk. So we welcome all the guest sitters. We talk away, you know, and hopefully they begin to relax, realising that we're ordinary people, you know. Mm. And then we tell them, you know, about the seance, what we expect them to do. In other words, to just simply try to relax uh, and listen to the music and then leave, leave the rest of the spirit world. Uh, so that's it. So we all go into the seance room and we sit in a certain configuration, okay? Uh, and then uh, my circle leader uh, says a few words to open the seance, to begin the seance, then a button is pressed and the same piece of music that we've listened to from, for over 40 years now, that begins to play. And that for me, as I said earlier, Ben, is a trigger. You know, once yeah. that music begins to play, then, you know, it, it's extraordinary. But then I've gone within probably yeah. seconds, you know. I've gone. Wow. And then Whitefeather comes in and he just simply welcomes everyone to the circle. Uh, and then he's probably there for two minutes, just talking, welcoming people and blah, blah, blah. Then he steps to one side and then he's replaced by little Christopher. And Christopher, as I said earlier, it's his responsibility to lighten the atmosphere and always makes people laugh, 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 you know, with what he comes out with. And I have to say, <coughs> of all the, and I mean no disrespect to any of the spirit communicators, but the one because they might be watching oh, now. No, they might. They might be. <laughs> <laughs> but they've had me say this before, so it doesn't matter. But, but uh, the one I love to listen to when we do the recording, I love, just love to listen to Christopher. Because uh, even after all these years, I can't help but laugh, you know. One of the things they often say is, one of the things they often say is to people, you know, if they can be very, very nervous, he says, look, there's nothing to be nervous about. Listen. If a ghost appeared in the room, I'd be the first one out. So he's got a magical way about him of lightening the atmosphere. So everybody just forgets the nerves and just becomes part of the hall, you know. And then when he steps aside, he could be there for five minutes, ten minutes, whatever. And he steps aside and then Frida Johnson, uh, very often it's Frida that comes in. And then it's her responsibility, as I said earlier, to produce the evidential uh, mm. communications. And very often she will introduce somebody, you know, a loved one, and then she will say, just a minute, and she'll step aside, and then that loved one will come in and speak directly to, you know, to the sitter, you know. Wow. Um, very often they have great difficulty, as you can imagine, is that normally through you or through direct voice me, at that point? Through me. Through you at that point? Yes, absolutely, through me. 
uh, and it can be very, very difficult for them because we've got to remember that the regular team, Whitefeather, Christopher, Treda, Dr. Ben, they've all worked and worked and worked on this for years and years and years. When Frida began to communicate, first of all, she was months and months and months before she could begin to speak well. You know, it was mm-hmm. a struggle. So we've got to keep that in mind. But to me, that is so vitally important, you know, uh, the evidential communications. Yeah. Um, do you know what a spirit trumpet is? I do courtesy of your book, um, but most people probably don't. But it kind of—I think it kind of looks like a megaphone, right? And it's—is uh, it metal? It's made of metal. It's metal, yes, and it stands about fifteen inches in height, probably about three quarters of an inch diameter at the small end. At the large end is probably three inches, three and a half inches at, at the wide end, uh, yeah. and that's illuminated at the the large end we have a you, yeah you put a luminous band thing That's on right. it don't you stick it because don't forget yeah. we're sitting in total darkness uh and then uh frida will be speaking she will be reuniting people with the loved ones then she will stand to one side and walter stinson will take over now he's responsible for all of the physical manifestations mm-hmm. uh, and then very often one of the trumpets will take off and fly around the room and over the last couple of years or so, perhaps a bit longer than that now, very often I come out of chance so I can see it myself. There's a big yeah. difference, a big difference between people telling you something as to what happens and actually experiencing it yourself. Unless you've experienced it yourself, you, you, you can't, you know, it's very different to seeing it yourself. Uh, and so to see it is absolutely wonderful. The trumpet will fly around the room and this we use two and very often the second one will, you know, levitate up and that will fly around the room. Sometimes, but not often, the spirit people will then begin to speak through the trumpets. You know, yeah. And that amplifies the voices. That amplifies the voices. Yeah. Uh, so, so that's that part of it. Uh, and then um, we have a, a small table which is directly in front of me. It stands probably about, let me have a think, uh, about 15 inches in height and uh, probably about 15 inches in diameter. But the top is glass. It's got a glass top and inside the table is a red light. So when Walter calls for the red light to be switched on, in the table, it's switched on, and then you can see the whole top of the table through the glass, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then he will often invite her, it's usually a lady, he'll invite to come and sit facing me at the table. Yeah. Uh, and then he will tell them, he's going to show them, or try to show them his own hand. And then as they're watching, they will see like a cloud appear on the table. Le- Leslie has witnessed this, hasn't she, I think, there, as well? Yes. Yeah. Like a, a cloud, I don't, don't know what colour, I have no idea, but like a cloud. And then slowly but surely, from the cloud, it, it a hand is created, his hand is mm. created. And sometimes he'll ask the lady to place her hand on the table, and then his hand will come across and take hold of her hand, you know, which is quite extraordinary, as you can imagine. And we've yeah. only seen that once, only seen it once. You've seen it once. Once. And I, honestly, I'd heard about it for years and never seen it. 
And then on one occasion, I came out of town, so, good God, <laughs> oh, I yeah. can see this hand, you know. <laughs> just extraordinary, not me for six, you know. Yeah. An extraordinary experience, yeah. I bet. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so, and there were other things that happened uh, within the sea. So at one time, we used to get what's called apports, and that was like mm. sometimes uh, flowers would be brought into the seance room, which weren't there before the seance began, you know. Yeah. And in actual fact, in my book, I write about probably the one of the most extraordinary apports we ever had, and that, that's I, I, I headed it the the pink pig. pink pig, <laughs> yeah, which was quite extraordinary to say the least, yeah. But people have to read the book to you know. I don't really want to go into all of that, you know. Yeah, but, no. uh, yeah. So that basically is what. Oh, and sometimes doesn't happen very often, but it does happen on occasions. Somebody, a sitter, will be invited to come and sit at my side, and this happened just mm. uh, about two months ago, actually. Um, and I won't name the gentleman, but he came. Uh, but he was from America. He came and sat beside me, and the red light was concentrated on my face. And as he watched, uh, he saw his, was it his wife? No, his mother. I think it was his mother. Mother's face appeared in front of mine, you know, which is, that's called transfiguration, by the way. Yeah, it wasn't his wife. I think it was his mother uh, manifested in front of my face. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, things like this are unforgettable, aren't they, really, you know? mind-boggling stuff yeah i think so i think so and we we can come back to a few of the other phenomena that take place or that can take place but so after that just to kind of conclude the uh the seance they would what say a few more words and then you'd you'd call it a day you turn the lights on and go and have a cup of tea is that right the spirit well they call the children they're directors all the way through Okay. So they'll say, they'll, will they say we're done now or will they kind of, how will they end? Yeah, well, they would generally say that we have to bring this seance to a close. Uh, we'll thank everyone for the for the love and the harmony they've brought into the seance room. And then Whitefeather will come and he will say a final few words and that will be it. Uh, and then yeah. uh, our circle leader, Raimondo, he will say a few words to bring it all to a close. And two yeah. minutes later, the lights will, will come on. And then we have a tea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's, that's strong. That's the important part. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If anybody takes anything away from this, it should be the cup, cup of tea. Of tea. Um, <laughs> and we should also highlight the fact um, about how you sit, because you're in a chair and you are... You're you're strapped to the chair, aren't you? You have your arms attached. I think nowadays you do it via cable ties, like plastic cable ties. Yes. Um, yes. Oh, you've got cable one there. Yeah. there. Wow. yeah. So the cable yeah. tie is around the chair arms, one round each chair arm, and then my my wrist is strapped to the chair arm with the cable tie. Now, I've forgotten to mention this, actually. Matter through matter. Yeah, yeah I was yeah, going to yeah, ask yeah, you about yeah. it. Yeah. So my arms are fastened tightly to the chair arms. Okay. The only way they can be released is for pliers or a pair of scissors to cut through the strap. And then Walter will invite a lady to come and sit at my side. She'll sit at my side. 
And then he asked her to take my hand, my right hand, which she will do. And he says, keep hold of it. Do not let go for a moment. Then he will say, with your right hand, feel Stuart's arm, feel the strap. Is it round his arm? Is it round the chair arm? And they will feel, say, yes, it's there, it's in place. So then he will say, move your hand away, move that hand away, and then my arm shoots up into the air with the strap still on my arm. And then my arm will go back down, and then he will ask the lady to feel again, and she will feel, and she will feel that the strap is back on my arm. Then, yeah. then he asks her to feel again, and she'll feel the strap on my arm and around the arm of the chair. Then he'll say, keep your finger or your hand on top of the strap, which to do. And then whilst they're doing that, the strap under their finger, if then my arm will shoot up into the air, so the strap goes through the arm of the chair, and the strap then is presented to the lady. Yeah, and sometimes we, we have two of these on the table, not linked together, but at the end of a sitting, they will be linked mm. together like that. Yeah. yeah. Quite extraordinary, really. And, and again, I think Leslie has a few of them. She's told me. What were you going to say? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut. Well, you I can tell you that some of these uh, are now literally all over the world. Yeah, and people have sent me photographs of of them uh, in frames and have them framed. And I know one yeah. lady who uh, got married and took it down the aisle with her on a wedding wow. day. Yeah, yeah. How wonderful! Yeah. How wonderful! Yeah, yeah. And over the years, I think you've experimented in different situations, sometimes in public ones, sometimes mostly in public ones, I would say. But you've experimented with different types of, you know, attaching yourself to the chair because you always want to make sure that people can be as convinced as possible and that they, you know, you want to remove as much doubt as you can so that people don't need to question the things that they see. And so you've experimented with, I think, attaching your chest and your legs and, and everything. And you have luminous tabs on your ankles or your legs. And on your arms, uh, but yeah, just speak a little bit about that—the the kind of the le- the, the the levels you go to 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 ensure. Well, that. to me, it's of vital importance, Ben, that when people sit at a seance with me, it's of vital importance. I, I just, you know, I hope and pray that when the seance is over and they leave the room. They are in no doubt whatsoever that for a while they've been in the presence of the spirit well, that everything has been genuine, everything. Mm. That has been of vital importance to me, always has been. And I always say this, if I sit with a physical medium, I walk into the seance room as a spiritualist, but I don't leave my common sense outside of the seance room. And I always insist upon that with people who sit with me. Don't leave mm. logic. Don't leave your common sense outside the seance room. You know, it's ridiculous. Yeah. You mustn't do. So what I did, knowing this and how important it is to me, for many years I used to insist upon my legs being strapped with ropes around the chair legs. Uh, I had, as you just said, ropes around my body, you know, around the back of the chair. I had ropes adhering my arms to the uh, chair arms. I had luminous tabs on my knees and my shoes or or my feet, blah, 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 all of these things. But I'll tell you, it changed one night because I gave a public sitting 
And my wife, she always sits outside to make sure that nobody can walk in and disturb the seal mm-hmm. once it started. And she was sat there and the seances ended, the door opened and people were filing out and two psychic researchers walked past her and she heard one say to the other, well, it was very interesting, but did you notice that the stra- that the ropes around this chest were separate at the beginning of the seance, but at the end they were all bunched together? And I thought, my goodness. So, so I insisted that my safe leader had two metal plates made with rings through them that would be fastened to the back of the chair so that the ropes could not possibly be bunched together, that they would always be separated because they would go through the loops in the strips at the side of the chair. And I did this for several months, and then eventually I thought, this is ridiculous. You know, absolutely no amounts, you know, no amounts of, of, of nothing will convince people if they don't want to be convinced. And it got, I go back to Marjorie, it didn't matter what she did, you know, what she put herself through and her husband and what they went through, it didn't convince those people who refused to believe, you know. And I thought, this is ridiculous. So I scrapped all of it. I just insisted then on having the, the cable ties around my wrists mm-hmm. uh, and also having uh, luminous tabs on my knees so people could see all the time where I was. And it was as simple yeah. as that. And that's what I do to this day, you know, because yeah. you're never satisfied the out and out critic, the out and out skeptic. Never no, convinced. no. No. There's a saying, I can't recall it off the top of my head, but it's something along the lines of the true believer, you can show them anything to the contrary and they won't stop believing. And the true the true skeptic, you can show them any amount of incontrovertible proof and they'll never believe. Um, exactly. I should also point out that, I, I, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe when you have guests come, you allow them to go in the room and inspect everything yeah. and inspect your chair and the table and things like Absolutely that. Absolutely yeah. percent, yes. So yeah. got yeah. nothing to hide whatsoever. You know, nothing. Mm. You know, yeah. I go I go back to what we were speaking about at the beginning of this interview, Ben, which was the Marjorie mediumship. And, you know, people have said to me over the years, why don't you allow, you know, the Society for Psychical Research to come along and sit with you and blah, 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 blah. Well, the answer to that is in the early days, because I was a member of the Society for Psychical Research, and in the early days, I did have, two of the uh, people at the top of the society come along and sit with me. But, yeah. you know, they would never be convinced. You know, one of them, t- you mentioned Ali Harris, the materialization mm. medium at the beginning, right? Now listen to this. And, and I do actually talk about, write about, written about this in my book. After one of the seances, one of the researchers told me, and I can still remember, you know, it, Clearly, he told me that years earlier, uh, he found out that the local church uh, had organised a trip to Cardiff for members to sit with Alec Harris, okay, the materialisation medium, to sit with Alec Mm -hmm. Harris. He said, and he said, I wanted to go, obviously, because I've never sat with Alec Harris, he said, now, I saw the president, and the president said, well, unfortunately, it's fully booked. I think there was about 15 of them going. 
fully booked. But if anybody cancels, then you will have first blah, blah, blah. So he said a day or two before the actual trip to Cardiff, uh, the president contacted him and said, look, somebody's dropped out. Would you like? And he said, yes, I, yes, please, I'll go. He said, well, on the day, he said, we went by a bus and we were all waiting for the bus to arrive at the church. He said, and I noticed an old gentleman with a bouquet of flowers. He said, and I found out that only uh, two or three weeks earlier, he'd lost his wife and he was hoping that she would materialise, okay? He said, so anyhow, so he said, we, we, the bus arrived, we went to Cardiff, we went to, you know, took part in the seance. He said, and he, this gentleman was sat behind me, we were sat in rows, and he was sat behind me. He said, he said, and he said, it was so dim, the light was so dim. He said, as these spirit people were coming out of the cabinet, because Alec Harris would always sit within a cabinet, which is two curtains drawn across. This is in order to preserve and concentrate the energy to enable the spirit people to materialise. He said, and I thought to myself, well, could be Ali Harris in the bathrobe. He said, I couldn't see lately. He said, and I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. He said, and I just sat there. He said, and then at a certain point, he said, the curtains opened. He said, and this little old lady came out. He said, God, he said, with that, this gentleman jumped up, shouted his wife's name, pushed me aside, run for, he said, and they were embracing. He said, I've never seen anything like it. He said, it was unbelievable. He said, and then after a while, I noticed she began to sink into towards the floor. And as she was sinking, he was going down with her. He said, not the end. Yeah. There was just a head on the floor. And she was saying, I've got to go. I've got to go. And he was on his hands and knees saying, don't go, don't go. He said, he said, I've never seen anything like it in my life. Years later, he wrote a book, this researcher, and it was brought to my attention by someone. And I read it, and he talked about this trip. And what he wrote was totally different to what he told us that night. In other words, he was yeah. insinuating that it was all fraud. Yeah. That that gentleman would have, you know, would have, would have identified anybody as his wife because he was so emotional. And I thought to myself, you know, this is ridiculous. You know, people, yeah, yeah people are people at the end of the day. Yeah. You know? uh, even if it wasn't his wife, if she sank into the floor, that's proof of something. Exactly. <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, just just to go back to the kind of phenomena in your seance room for a minute, um, a couple of things I wanted to to just briefly talk about. So firstly, the, the matter through matter, when you put your arm through the cable tie and then yeah. they raise it up. Um, I just thought I'd point out because I think you maybe forgot to mention or, or, you know, the when your hand is up, I think sometimes they Walter asked the red light to be turned on. Is that yeah. right? So Pete, so everybody in the circle is able to see your arm up there with the thing yeah. on with the cable tie and, 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 you know, they put it back down and then maybe red light comes on again or. I don't know exactly, yeah. but I just wanted to point that out because that's obviously quite, that adds a lot to it. Well, sometimes, sometimes um, Ben, as I understand it, when the lady is holding my hand and she's checked to make sure the cable tie is around my arm and around the chair arm, and then a moment later, my arm lifts up into the air, passes through the cable tie. She's asked to feel the arm of the chair and the cable tie is still there. And then the red light very often will come on so everyone can see that the cable tie is still there. Yes. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, and one that you didn't mention that I kind of I remember reading in your book and just just you know blows my mind. Just like everything else that, that we're talking about here, um, is the fact that you've been levitated, and again while while conscious as yeah. well. So just speak for a couple of minutes, just for a minute or two about about that. What's that like? And what yeah. <laughs> I think 90 centimeters. I didn't mention a height, but I think 90 centimeters you mentioned in your book, you've been levitated. I, I, I have to say, hand on heart, it's something that I do not like. Uh, it hasn't happened that often, maybe a couple yeah. of dozen times over the years, but I have to say that I don't like it, you know. And everyone can see this, incidentally, because of the luminous tabs, etc. You know, yeah. uh, but it is. It's not that I don't trust the spook people, I trust them a hundred percent, but it's just weird to be up there. Yeah. Floating. Yeah, it is. I can imagine. Yeah, well, I can't imagine, but I can at the same time. I can imagine that it's that it's very bizarre. Um in terms of other things we should talk about, I suppose I'd love to just talk for a couple of minutes about materializations. The, the, we talked about the hand, but maybe about the full body materialization of Dr. Barnett. Um, I'd love to just talk for a second about the healing as well. Um, so first, you want to start with the materialization, the, the full body materialization? Yes, sometimes. It, it doesn't happen very often, but it has happened. Uh, and it's normally Dr. Barnett will materialize within the cabinet and then walk out. And sometimes yeah. he will carry a light in his in his hands. I understand. I've never seen this, obviously, but sometimes he will carry a light in his hands, uh, and he will go around the circle. And sometimes he will, you know, put his hands on people's heads and, and shoulders, all the hands, this kind of thing. As I say, I've never seen it, obviously, myself, but I understand it does happen from time to time. Yeah. But interestingly. Uh, as I understand it, uh, I can only tell you, you know, the reports that have come back to me. Very often, when he's in the circle with his hands on people's heads, he's for whatever reason he has what he called helpers with him, and people in various parts of the room will also feel hands on their heads. And very often, it's yeah. apparently children's hands, you know. So that's as much as I can really tell you about it. Yeah. Well, if anybody wants to, to learn more about that, I, again, this is something I spoke with Leslie uh, recently about in more detail. Um, so go and listen to that uh, to hear more about her experiences with Stuart. Um, the the uh, where was I going to go with this? Oh, yes. The, the hands materializing the hands. I believe in some cases as well, they have asked they being the spirit people whoever's handling it at this moment has asked for your hands to be placed on the table along with anybody else who is very close to place their hands kind of touching the ends of fingers and the ends of thumbs yeah. um so that everybody can see everybody's hands and then at that moment an extra hand or pair of hands will will join so that there's no doubt that this could be and again leslie said or even if they didn't do that these are definitely not stewart's hands she said i know stewart's hands and these are different hands um but even if there was that doubt there are occasions where this hand will form while all the hands in the vicinity are on the table yes, that's right the, as in red it, light as i understand it then uh walter will invite other people to come and sit around the table uh, yeah yeah, sit around the table and then he gets them to put the hands on the table so that all the fingers are touching, the hands are touching. And, and this is in red light so everybody can see that there are four pairs of hands, you know, 
the lady yeah. facing me and then one you know each side uh, so there's four people around the table and uh, so there's four pairs of hands and then the extra hand will materialize yeah yeah yeah, yeah. it's incredible um and again, just briefly, just to touch on the healing. Again, this is something we could easily talk about for an hour cool. just by itself. But just briefly, um, how does it, not in terms of the actual practicality of how does it work, but in terms of, have you ever been able to kind of request that? Or is it something that's purely, he will do it and it's spontaneous? Have you ever kind of looked at that from that angle? Um, yeah, yeah, I think that... Um, I think it's the spirit world that decides upon the healings. You know, mm. what I will say is that within our home circle, the home circle, at the end of the circle, when the circle has been closed, you know, the, uh, then what we tend to do is to all link hands and then we send healing out into the world for friends family so you know people who are suffering from various illnesses we always do that but to go back to the seances yes i believe that that is dr barnett's decision you know who yeah. Will, yeah you know heal and we've as i say we've had some extraordinary healings but at the same time we've had somewhere you know where he's failed to uh, to make a difference you know yeah we don't we don't need to go into this one now if if people want to hear the full story they can they can read it in your book but there is one that you mentioned in there robin hodgson's heart oh, yeah. um which was very compelling like she had some major issues with her heart and and long story short dr barnett did his thing yeah. and said check it out in three months she coincidentally had an appointment three months later and and found some very very intriguing results yeah, and very so shocking exactly. results. Incidentally, um, it was a man, it's a he, not a she. Oh, okay, right, <laughs> yeah. my bad. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it, it was uh, you know, people can read about it in the book, uh, but quite an extraordinary thing, really. You know, particularly yeah. since Dr. Barnett was able to say three months from now you will know the results, and three months later to the day, is there with a consultant who says to him, mm. What have you done? And he said, what do you mean, what have I done? He said, well, what have you done? And he said, and Robin immediately thought, oh, well, he's probably talking about the fact I like a drink or something like that, which he's not supposed to do. And he said, well, look, whatever it is you've done, I need to know because I've got a, you know, a, a waiting room out there with people suffering from what you're suffering from. And, you know, <laughs> this is, yeah. and, you know, if I'm going from, one situation to be totally clear of that was extraordinary to say the least. And he didn't realize until afterwards. And his wife said to him, Robin, where were you three months ago? And it suddenly clicked. Oh my gosh, you know. Yeah, so, but, yeah. So, the yeah, penny dropped. Yeah, yeah, penny drops. Yeah. Well, you know, over the years, I've got, to, and I've said this during my other interviews, um, Ben, but to me, it was one of the most emotional nights that I've ever had in all the years that I've worked as a medium. And so, excuse me, but, you know, I'd like to tell this story. Please, yeah, yeah. People have said to me over the years, Stuart, why do you do it? Why have you sat all these years? Well, what do you get out of it? And to be honest, Ben, I never, ever knew how to reply to them. I didn't know what to say. I thought, well, it's obvious what would I 
you know, why I've done it and why I sit week after week, year after year. It's obvious. But people, so I never knew how to, you know, how to answer them really. Till mm. one night, everything changed. And if I can explain to you, uh, my circle leader, he would get telephone calls from people asking if they could attend a guest circle. And I, I once said to him, how do you know, Ray? How, how do you know whether they want to come for the right reasons, you know? And he said, well, I, I talked to them for a long time on the telephone and then I just get an instinct, a feeling as to whether or not they're genuine, sincere. I said, oh, right, okay. Yeah. So anyhow, um, I think it was the first night when we used to have regular guest circles. Uh, so the guests would arrive and then I was always the last to arrive. So I'd be introduced to everyone. Uh, and on this particular night, um, I arrived, I was introduced to everyone. One of the ladies, she appeared to be very shy, very quiet, said very, very little, didn't really join in with the conversation at all. Is it, is it Violet? Violet Echo? No, just... no, it's not Violet. No, okay, okay. No, I'm not going to name this lady, but it wasn't Violet. Um, so anyhow, at the appointed time, we go up into the seance room uh, and we sit. And towards the very end of the sitting, towards the very end of the sitting, this lady was called forward to sit at my side. She sat at my side and then a partner who she'd lost a few months earlier, who died a few months earlier, came through and spoke with her. Apparently, Ray didn't know why she wanted to come to the circle. Obviously, I didn't know. Uh, she was a total stranger. And apparently, she'd lost under strange circumstances her partner months and months earlier. And she'd been so distraught about it, she couldn't sleep, she couldn't eat. She, she was in such a state, she'd even considered suicide. That's how bad it was for her. Uh, she began to visit certain mediums. Nothing made any difference whatsoever. And she was in the depths of despair. And then she saw, uh, I think it was in the Noah's Art Society newsletter, that was a spiritualist organisation at the time, a note saying that guest uh, Stuart's now running guest circles. And she thought, well, this is my last chance. And if this doesn't work, that's it. And she rang Ray, she got an invitation, she came and she sat, and a partner came through. When the seance had ended, uh, everyone went down stairs, it was always held on the first floor and I was see on the room. And then when I'd come out, it recovered from chance sufficiently, I came down the stairs, opened the door, walked in, and, she, and I'll never, and I'm telling you this, and I can see her now, and she was stood there waiting for me. And when I walked into the room, she threw her arms on me and she said, she said, thank you for saving my life. And I'll never forget that, you know, and that to me, that says everything. When people say, well, why have you sat all these years? Good God, you know, it's wonderful. You know, if you can help somebody, well, it's not me, it's the spirit well, but you know what I'm saying. You facilitate Yes, it, yeah. absolutely. You know, that it means, and we've seen this with various other people, Not nothing as dramatic as that. You know, nothing as dramatic as that. But I'll never forget, and I'll remember it to the day I, I pass over, you know. Extraordinary, yeah. really touched me. Really, it's amazing. Yeah, absolutely. And as, like you say, that's the epitome of why you do it. That's it summed up into a, into one example. Um, 
after you have your little drink there, I suppose we should tackle the, uh, you know, the, one of the more difficult to tackle subjects in, in this whole arena. It's the, the elephant in the room. It's uh, ectoplasm, oh. the thing that kind of makes it all possible, you know, all of the phenomena that we've discussed. Um, so again, I, I'm not going to ask you exactly what it is or anything like that, because it's kind of a big mystery still. Um, but to the best of your knowledge, you know, how would you describe it? And, and how would you kind of, could you give a rough kind of, again, your thoughts on maybe how it works just for anybody that's got no idea. And, and I'm sure a lot of people that have heard of it, have never really accepted or considered the fact that it might be real. Um, well, I believe, I really do believe then that within all living creatures, animals, human beings, whatever, that within them is this substance, this energy, which has been referred to, always referred to as ectoplasm. Mm. Now, it's upon ectoplasm that physical manifestations depend. You know, without ectoplasm, it wouldn't happen. Now, it's extracted yeah. from the medium through, through the nose, the ears, the mouth, the solar plexus, whatever. And as it leaves the medium, as I understand it, it's almost like a vapor, it's almost like smoke, if you like. But in ways that we don't understand, we just don't know how it happens, but the spirit world are able to transform that in the blinking of an eye to something very solid. And everything, all the manifestations within the seance room depend upon this substance, this energy, ectoplasm. Now, as I said before, I believe all living creatures have it within them, but a medium just happens, to, or physical medium, just happens to have, uh, let's say, an abundance of it that can be utilised by the spirit world, far more than most people or creatures would have within them. And that's about as much as I can tell you, you know. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know how it happens, but they are able to... For example, the trumpet flying around the seance room. So it leaves the medium, it's transformed into something quite solid, which is then attached to the small end of the trumpet, and then it is lifted up into the air and, and floated around. And I do know, incidentally, um, of mediums in the past who were seriously injured because lights by the skeptics have been introduced while manifestations have been occurring, and then the ectoplasm would fly back to the medium and could cause irreparable damage to them, you know? Yeah. And I do know of mediums where this has happened. Alec Harris was one of them, incidentally, and it just about, well, it was never the same again. His mediumship was never the same again after it took yeah. He sat for years with never, ever a problem, never. And then one night it happened, you know? And he was seriously ill for a long time. And when he began to sit again, yeah, he was never the same person, never the same medium. So no, I, bet. I think Helen Duncan, you know, you've heard of Helen Duncan, you know, um, the last medium who was tried, uh, where she was tried at the Old Bailey under the 1735 Witchcraft Act. Mm. Uh, and she was imprisoned, you know, uh, Wow. And she herself, I mean, she, you know, she paid the ultimate price through people switching on lights, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, horrendous, horrendous. 
So that's all I can really tell you about ectoplasm. It is light sensitive. Now, if the spirit world themselves say, introduce a light, we introduce a light. You know, listen yeah. to them. You know, yeah. they are in control, yeah. not us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, hopefully, and I, and I expect maybe that one day, who knows how far in the future that science is going to be able to establish that that's a real thing. I mean, who knows how many years down the line, maybe hundreds um but but you know there's a chance that that will one day be understood more at least. i i hope sincerely ben that you you are right but i have to say that in the past men and women of considerable standing academic standing you know have been convinced you know of survival communication physical mediumship physical manufacturing they've been convinced and they put the reputations the standing scientific social standing on the land to voice what they knew to be the truth and what what has it done nothing you know yeah. nothing you know science turns its back on it it's a lot of rubbish you know mm. I suppose one of the closest they ever got was the Kluski moles. The, we, we've mentioned him very briefly earlier, Franek Kluski. Again, I spoke about Les, spoke about him with Leslie um, because they were able to yeah produce some molds. I think I've got a photo which I can put on the screen yeah. now as we as we're speaking. Well, you know that. Um, I know that. Many many other people know that, but the world of science is quiet about it. it still it. still dismisses it. it. Yeah, you know. Yeah. This is what I've said about the Marjorie mediumship. They forever, you know, ignore the phenomena that cannot possibly be explained away. It just cannot possibly be explained away. You know, I wished I was in a position to be able to describe to you some of the things that happened in a seance room, but without showing photographs, it would be extremely difficult. Extremely difficult. No, I imagine. But uh, yeah. I mean, and she, so she gave everything, you know. And then when her husband passed on, I think it was 1939, she took to drink and she mm. finished up with cirrhosis of the liver as a direct result. Yeah. But who could blame her? What she'd been put through throughout the 1920s and 30s, and you know, it was horrendous, absolutely horrendous, yeah. you know. So, yeah, I think she was one of the greatest mediums of all time. I really do, physical mediums of all time, you know. But, but yeah. you know, the cynics and skeptics would have us believe the exact opposite the greatest psychic fraud in history. Yeah. Well, for now, let's hope one day the the truth will the truth will out. Um, I'm going to read a quote from your book, and then let's let's kind of we'll go further with it. So here's the quote: In my view, mediumship stands or falls according to the evidence it produces to substantiate the argument that the human soul survives death. So on that basis, your mediumship has provided incredibly strong evidence for survival on countless occasions but which would you say it doesn't have to be one it could be more than one but which would stand out to you as the most compelling or some of the most compelling evidence i would think personal evidence is very very important you know if a sitter suddenly finds mm -hmm. themselves you know being given evidence from a loved one in the spirit well like you said earlier with your nan and it's the the nuances in how they exactly, speak right it's the... exactly mm. all of these things are so important but i'll tell you one thing which i think is of vital critical importance 
it's never ever mentioned by the skeptics and the cynics because there's no way they can explain it away. Okay, they can say that if evidential communication is coming through for a sitter, they can say, ah, well, it's possibly they probably got it off the internet, or it probably looked this up or looked that, or he probably knew blah blah, or he overheard something. We can say that, but the one piece, as far as I'm concerned, the most compelling evidence experiment of all is what sometimes happens in our seance room but it never just happened for me it doesn't just happen for me it's happened in the past with other mediums and that is what is referred to as the book test so mm. i'll give you an example uh christopher used to give them originally but now it's very often it's Frida johnson that does and i'll tell you something else about Frida in the moment but uh right so well, let's say Frida will say to a guest sitter, when you get home, go to your bookshelves, take the second bookshelf down from the top, counting so many books from the left, take the book out of the bookcase, open it to page 145, or whatever, I'm making this up now, 145, it's a left-hand page, count down six lines from the top, and there you will read the following. Now, I would think uh, she has quite a good success rate. Sometimes she's totally correct. Sometimes she's partly correct. And sometimes she's totally incorrect. She doesn't know the reason, uh, the answer to it, why that be. Yeah. But she does it. So let the skeptics explain that. You know, somewhere I've never ever been before. I've never been to their yeah. homes never been in the book yeah. you know so that, and books move around and everything you know like people move yeah, them and so it's, it's, it's a mind-boggling thing it's compelling isn't it compelling yeah it yeah is. yeah you know, i think it is and now i've totally yeah. forgotten what i was going to tell you <laughs> it's just left the mind but uh yeah the, the book tests you, you were book tests and something else about freda oh freda yes 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 right okay some years ago um I gave I ran a seminar, a weekend seminar mm. at a hotel. And uh on the Saturday evening I would give uh, a seance. So there probably could be 50 people there, could be a hundred people there, whatever, you know. I did these for 18 years, twice a year, by the way, ran these seminars. Uh and it wasn't actually Trying to think, I don't think it was one of my own, but it was at the same hotel where I always held my seminars. So I gave this seance, and afterwards I was in uh, the back room drinking tea with everybody, and an elderly lady came up to me and said, Stuart, can I speak to you? I said, yes. So she took me to one side. She said, Frida Johnson. I said, yeah. She said, I knew her. I said, mm. what? She said, yes, yeah. she said she lived at the opposite side of the road to me. She said she was a school teacher and the children used to go into. I said, that's exactly what she's always told us. She was a school teacher. She said, as soon as I heard a voice, she said, I thought, that's Frida Johnson. So there we go. Wow. <laughs> that's wild, let, yeah. Let the skeptics explain that. I've never met this woman in my life before, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. Um, I think it just validates everything, you know. 
Yeah, yeah. And and a couple of other kind of um, strong points of evidence for survival that I wanted to mention that I came across in your book, in your brilliant book. Um, I don't think I've said the full name in your book, An Extraordinary Journey, The Memoirs of a Physical Medium. Um, there was one, I think, it, I don't know if it's a chapter or if it was just a, a part of a chapter, but it's Noel Riley Hegarty yeah. or Hegarty's, you did a transatlantic experiment. Yeah. So he sat in America at the same time that you were sitting in England. Yes. And he kind of tried to kind of have the same conditions in terms of darkness and, and all that kind yeah. of thing. Um, and maybe even played the same music. I may be wrong on that. That's a vague. Yeah, he did. Okay, great. Um, and I think, again, I'll, I'll tell it briefly and you tell me if I'm wrong or correct me or jump in if you want. But he didn't experience anything while the seance was taking place. But then towards the end of the seance, I think whoever, one of the, your spirit team, report, Christopher reported to you, he talked to you about, about the room that this guy was sitting in, about his house and about maybe about the man's appearance. I'm not sure about that part, but certainly about the room. And they ended up having 27 accurate verified statements about this guy's house, yeah. of which you or anybody in your circle, I imagine, and nobody had ever been. He'd sent you no photos, anything like never, that. And you, never been to America in my life. And, no. <laughs> yeah. And so it, in in effect, the the spirit of, of Christopher was traveled to this guy's house, yeah. the room he was talking to you from. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? It's just a, uh, and he wasn't talking to you actually. Was he on? He wasn't on FaceTime or anything. He just sat at the same no, time. Just sat at the same time. Yeah, yeah, and tried to kind of visualize yeah. and things like that. Yeah, so I thought that was quite compelling to have twenty-seven accurate statements. And when you're telling him back, when he's, I think he listened to the recording. Is that right? You sent him the recording, and he's like, "Wow, that's correct. That's, that's correct. correct. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah." Well, I didn't send it, Raimondo, uh, my circle leader. He. Right. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it's evidence like that, which I think is so compelling. I think it's so. It is. Yeah, definitely. And and even more you know, on the book tests that you just talked about, I believe I don't I, don't, I think it was with your mediumship, but it could have been with somebody else. But I, I believe I read it in your book about how sometimes it's with like a foreign language book. Um, so it's not even a language you speak. And on that, I wanted to ask a kind of side question. Does it do you, to your to the best of your knowledge or the best of your belief? Do you think that language is seemingly irrelevant once you kind of pass over to the other side? I think it, it definitely is. Definitely, yeah. definitely is. Yeah. At the end of the day, we're all human beings. Full stop. You know, mm. uh, and we communicate yeah. verbally, but I think it's very different over there. You know. Yeah. 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 Um, again, this question, you could answer it very lengthily and we could discuss it at length, but just kind of in a nutshell, um, I'm sure lots of people listening and, and watching are wondering about this and, and you might already kind of start to realize where I'm going with it. They're thinking, if all this is real, why doesn't why doesn't Stuart film it and, and prove it to the world? And having read your book, I'm aware of your reasons and I understand your reasons and, and I think I'd probably probably feel the same. I can't say if I wasn't in that situation, but there's a good chance I would. But please, just again, in a nutshell, kind of explain and enlighten people um, yeah. as to why you wouldn't want to go down that road. Yes, indeed, I will do. Um, first of all, I'm a very private person. I always have been. And people watching this interview and the previous interview may think, well, that's a load of rubbish. 
you know, he's, he's agreed to it, but you know the reason why I've agreed to it. And I've looked online to I've searched for interviews for Stuart and there really are not there's there's a there's what you said three or something like that and I think I think that most of them are with just one person I there's there's not there's not much out there at all and you could clearly have done a lot more if you'd wanted to that's plain to say yeah so that's it Uh, now what I've said is this right first of all learn from history okay. And if I say that some of the greatest, as far as I'm concerned, mediums in the world in the past, and this again includes Marjorie, you know, on what has happened to them, you know, that, you know, researchers after researchers after researchers after researchers sat with people like her. And where did it go? She's now the greatest psychic field in history. You know, nothing was pulled. Nothing could possibly be pulled in spite of extraordinary experiments that, you know, successfully, you know, she participated in. Now, I say this, right, if I said, right, open the door to the media, open the door to God, it'd be the story of the bloody century. It'd be more than the story of the century. Can you imagine the media descending on my home? My whole life would be totally destroyed. My circle, which has sat for over 40 years, basically, privately, apart from when we have the guest circles, which is rare, you know, it would be torn apart. You know, mm. I'm not interested in... But I know we live in a world where people want... Public, a lot of people want publicity, you know, a celebrity world. I'm not interested in any of that, you know. Not at all, and that's all I could really say yeah. about it. Ben. And I, I know what the skeptics are going to say in the scene, it's why I couldn't care less what they say, you know. And I think I think at the end of the day, you know, like I think I've read this and I think you outlined this again, because obviously you go into it in more detail in your book. But the best case would be and, and it, forgetting the publicity for it. Well, not actually, because that is part of what I'm going to say. The best case would be that people believe it. Right. People believe this video or whatever proof you offer. Um, so then, yes, you're the, the the biggest name in the world and people descend upon you. Your life is turned upside down. And the other case is nobody believes it and your your reputation is ruined and you're dragged through the mud. Yeah. And the middle ground, which is probably the most realistic, is that you'd have this group of people over here saying, I believe it. It's true. There's proof. And they would be all over you. And the other half would say, no, it's bollocks. It's, yeah. it's not true yeah. for this reason. And so... I can see that what you've said. I think it's just no, there's no win for you in it. Um, and it would turn my family life apart, you know. Mm, it would turn yeah. my circle apart. It's horrendous, yeah. you know. I, yeah. I'm not interested in publicity. I really, really am, you know. And, oh, I, yeah. and I'm doing this interview for a reason, and you know the reason, you know. And and I was surprised and honoured that you accepted to do it with me. I didn't really hold out that much hope when I first reached out. Um, but as you did with Leslie, like we spoke quite a lot and things like that. And, and we've managed to get here. But I just wanted to address that briefly for yeah, anybody that was wondering at home. And, I, and, and if they want more information about it, again, go to the book. Um, well, again, just some... Sorry, go on. To their beliefs, you know, their views, obviously they're entitled to them, you know. Mm. Uh, but, you know, I have said right from the very beginning when my mediumship began to develop, you know, if people don't believe, that's up to them. You know, I believe and that's up to me, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if I was a person who 
would like to invite publicity and all the rest of it, then I'd seize it with more fans. But I'm not, you know, I'm not, yeah. you know, maybe that might be disappointing to a lot of people. I don't know who do believe, but I can only be honest, you know. You may well inspire, directly inspire a new, a new circle to form and a oh, new so. great medium to arise. And they may well fancy the publicity. They may well fancy the challenge. And so you will have indirectly helped oh, wow. to bring that out. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and maybe for them, it will work out. Maybe at that point, who knows? Well. But, uh, but I understand your decision and hopefully other people will. There's, we're going to kind of jump around from here on a few more and a few more kind of little questions. Uh, before we kind of close it up in about 20 minutes okay. or so, if that's all right. Um, so the the last kind of biggish question, not that it's a big question, uh, I would ask you if you just kind of speak for a few minutes about your relationship with Leslie Kane. I know you did mention it earlier. She asked you to write a chapter for her incredible book, Surviving Death, which changed my worldview. It turned my worldview upside down. I remember the moment when I was about to start reading it and I, I remember the kind of having this sensation of I've got an open mind cool. and I'm going to read it and I'm going to see what I find out. And I had no real pre-existing beliefs one way or another, nothing strong. I was open to the idea that maybe death wasn't the end, but I was very much like, let's see how this goes and let's see if it can convince me at all. And if I've told Leslie this, if I'd read your chapter, which was towards the end of the book, if I'd read that as chapter one, no, I don't think I would have been. <laughs> I think I wouldn't have been able to. It, the beauty of her book is it's like a, a stairway. Yeah. You know, each each level, like it starts with near death experiences, it, you know, and it comes on to children with past life. It, it introduces all these different aspects. And, and so by the time I got to your chapter, I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe I'm even going to read this chapter with an open mind. But here I am. I'm going to read it and let's see if it can convince me. And and well, here we are today. But anyway, yeah, just just speak about it a little bit. I know the phenomena that Leslie has witnessed with you. She talks about it in her book. Um, she talks about it briefly in the epilogue of your book that she, that you asked her to write for you. And, and and again, we talked about it on our call recently. Um, but yeah, just, just speak about Leslie and about about your relationship and how that came to be and, and go wherever you want to yeah. go with it. Well, all I can say, really, Ben, is, as I said earlier, one day I received an email from her and I read it and I thought, investigative journalist? No, no way, no way. But I'm never rude, you know, I'm never rude with people. So I always, you know, try to reply to emails um, you know, in a nice way, which I did. And then I received one back from her. And then it really started from there, an exchange of emails going backwards and forwards. And, you know, sometimes what you do, you know, you meet people in life and you get a feel for them, don't you? You know, you know whether, you know, they're on the same, you know, as you are, same route as you are, uh, same road as you are. And over a period of time, I started to, it started to dawn on me that this lady appears to be very genuine, very sincere, you know? Uh, and as a result of that, I eventually, I invited her to come along to one of my seminars, which, which she did. And I have to say that when I met her, it was very quickly became apparent to me that she was genuine. She was very, very sincere and genuine. She wasn't, you know, when you talk about a journalist, you know, talk yeah. about the media, you think, uh-oh, the red flag goes up, doesn't it? The warning lights come on. But no, it yeah. wasn't like that. I realised that she was a genuine person, you know, and uh, interest, her sincerity was very 
clear to me, very clear. And it really went from there. And these years later, we are still very, very close, very much in contact with each other. And actually, she knows my family, you know. Uh, and no, it's very nice. It's very, very nice. And she... She joins your seance room sometimes remotely as well. And she's experienced things. Again, she talks about this in the epilogue of your book. Um, so I won't spoil it all. But And we talked about it again. I spoke to her about it when, when we spoke. But she's experienced things happen to her physically there in America yes. um, that's seemingly been caused or, or done by your spirit guides, which is just unbelievable. By Walter, yeah. yeah which is just incredible. Um, but yeah, I'd, I strongly advise anybody to read both both of these books, Leslie's book, Surviving Death, and Stuart's book, An Extraordinary Journey. Um, coincidentally, you both write in each other's book at some point. In Leslie's, there, she writes a chapter about you and about her experiences with you, and then you write one in your own words as yes. well. Um, but I, I can't recommend both, both books highly enough. Um, to change track a little bit here... Uh, some religious people may feel that mediumship or do feel that mediumship is evil. Um, how does that make you feel? And what would you say to somebody that, that feels that, that thinks I that? would say, by their fruits, you shall know them. And all I can say to you, Ben, is throughout all of the years that I've worked with the spirit world, on no single occasion, has anything occurred that has created concern for me? Everything has been above board, lovely. I tell you, I trust the spirit people who form the team that work through me, through my circle. I trust them probably more than I trust anybody on this earth. You know, yeah. uh, they've never, ever, ever done anything that has caused me any concern whatsoever. You know, as far as religion is concerned, I mean, we're all entitled to our beliefs, aren't we? You know, we're all entitled. And I would never criticise, you know, anybody for their beliefs. I just wouldn't, you know. I'm not religious yeah. myself, you know. I've always said that and I'll continue to say I'm not religious. But I hope I'm not a bad person. You know, it's by their fruit she shall know them. And, and it's all about doing good, isn't it? Helping people, you know being as one with people that's why I was yeah. and and think about it you know because of what happens within our seance room so many many people down the years have been helped you know have really been helped you know that's wonderful yeah. I can't ask them I, you know I, yeah, I, com I completely agree. I just I, I just wanted to find out because it, it's a very bizarre kind of, you know, thing where, where you have these some people that feel like, oh, yeah, it's 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 evil. But no, I, I appreciate you responding to that. And, and I think it's a it's a great answer. Um, just a very quick question. You can almost give me like a one word answer if you want. But I, it's just something I've been wondering. Um, have you ever asked your spirit team, anybody within your spirit team, whether they can kind of locate a specific person for you? on the other side, like maybe somebody that you knew or, or somebody, whoever it may be. No, I don't think we ever have. don't think we ever have. We've always, no. always, always left everything in their hands. They call it Joan. Yeah. You know, one thing I will say is that if, and I've noticed this down the years, I've noticed it many times down the years, if someone takes part in a sitting or has a sitting with a medium, mental medium, whatever, mm -hmm with hopes in the mind that a certain person is going to communicate with them, 
it very, very rarely happens. Very rarely happens. I'll tell you when it does happen, when somebody just takes part in a sitting or a seance with no particular thought. And then, surprisingly, it will happen or it can happen. And I've noticed that. Yes, I've noticed And I don't know the reason for it, but, but no. I have noticed it, you know. So, yeah. There, there are always these little things that seem kind of counter logical and bizarre and just make it even more confusing than it already is. It's the same as the book test when they're wrong, you know, because yeah. if they're correct, that's kind of like, OK, so there's that explains yeah. that. But then how do we explain half of them being right and half some of them being wrong? And that's it's, obviously that's another conversation, but hmm? some partly right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's just it kind of muddies the waters and makes everything confusing. But you know that it wouldn't be uh, it would be too easy otherwise. Again, I suppose. Um, well, I've got a few big questions. Can't take anything away from the successful ones. Exactly. Partly successful ones, you know. No, exactly. Yeah, because I couldn't do that. Um, so I got a few big questions that I wanted to ask you. Not necessarily your opinion i'm looking for i'm wondering whether you may have ever asked your spirit team a question along these lines or whether they may have kind of casually or, or dropped you kind of information relating to what i'm asking you just you see what i'm getting yeah. at just yeah whether anything has ever come through relating to these so firstly um in terms of the dying process not in a physical sense not in terms of pain or anything like that but kind of in terms of what actually happens, have they ever mentioned anything along those lines that is the process the same for everyone? I think the process is more or less the same for everyone. I really do, you know. Yeah. I, I think it's, from what I understand, or I accept 100%, it's the yeah. most uh, wonderful journey that we shall ever, ever make, ever make. Yeah. You know? can, you, yeah. can you imagine, you know, passing and then, a moment later, suddenly, you know, seeing your loved ones who have gone before you. I mean, can you imagine? I can always remember, I can always remember, it stuck in my mind all my life as this. One of my grandmothers, not the one I was talking about earlier, but one of my grandmothers, she suffered ill health towards the end of her life and she was in bed all the time, basically. And I think it was the day before she passed on. And I was only young, and I can remember going and sitting beside the bed, which is what we did when we visited, and it was just her and me. And she said, oh, you Stuart, look at that. Have you ever seen countryside like that? Look at those flowers, blah, blah, blah. And I thought, oh, my God. And that frightened the life out of me. But now, when I think about it, I think, yeah, because a spiritual body was beginning to dislodge to move yeah. away from the prison and she was seeing what was awaiting her this wonderful consciousness. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I've heard I've heard similar cases of that they call it terminal lucidity I think so I've spoken to Dr Bruce Grayson about it like where they have a patient on death's door and and they haven't moved for weeks or barely moved barely spoken and suddenly they'll sit bolt upright in bed and and as if they're talking to somebody over there and and they'll be talking you yeah. know and just things like yeah. that it's uh, incredible. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to rattle through a few more of these giant existential philosophical questions and, yeah. <laughs> and we can kind of, you can try and give me very quick answers or if, if you haven't got an answer, if you haven't, if they haven't given you this information or if, if you haven't got an impression from your communications, then by all means, just say that that's yes. fine. Um, 
So you believe the same thing does probably happen to everybody, regardless of religion, belief, karma, how one lived their life, any other factor, you, yes. you think it, it seems to be the same yeah. thing. Do you, on that note, do you think the have you got the impression there's any kind of choice involved? Do we have any kind of choice? Um, and by that, I'm getting at, you know, some people seem, seems like reincarnation is a thing for at least some people it seems like apparitions or in popular culture ghosts can be a thing um so i'm just wondering how all that fits in and whether it's an element of choice like do we get to the next place and we're kind of able to 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 do one of the you see what i'm getting i know what you're saying but if i was to try and reply to that i would honestly i would be speculating (laughs) i don't know you know with with any everything i've said so far I'm a hundred percent confident about, but that oh, question yeah. Oh, yeah. I would be speculating, and I'm not into speculation. Can you give me a one-word speculation, like just your personal speculations on if there's a choice in some manner or another in a yes or no? Can I say I don't know? You can. I'll let you off. You, I I like to believe there is a, an element of choice. I like to believe, but whether I actually believe it or not, I don't know either. So I will let you have it. I think, <laughs> I think yeah. there could be choice. I really do think there could be choice, but I don't know with any yeah. certainty. You know. No, of course not. No, I I completely respect that. Um, what about in terms of our personal consciousness, personality, and memories? Clearly, from what you do, they seem to survive. Um, however, do you believe that they, or have you got information to suggest that they survive eternally? Um, oh, I think so. The, the, the who we are, the part of us, the who we are, all our memories, our mm. recollections, our nature, how we are. Yeah, yeah, that all goes with us. You know. Yeah. And you think, as far as you can understand, there's no kind of like, there's no, it's indefinite, as far as you can understand. It's absolutely, eternal. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. No doubt yeah. about that at all, yeah. Ben. Yeah. In terms, in the spirit world, um, as, again, as far as you're aware, I keep kind of qualifying it with that because I don't want you to feel like uh, I'm coming to you for the definitive answer. But does it seem like there's free will uh, in the well, spirit I think world? so. Oh, I definitely mm. think so. Yes, yes, yes. That would be the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. Do, you, do you believe that any religions, any earthly religions are are close to the to the truth of reality? Well, again... And, I, and you don't have to name names on any particular ones, you know, because you might make friends and enemies. But yeah, any? Uh, do you believe any might be close? I have no idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> fair, fair enough. My, my take on that, not that I'm going to speculate on if any are close to the truth, but I think most if not all religions it must be built on some some aspect of truth right i think it's just it's probably been you know chinese whispers through time things have been misinterpreted maybe and and changed but i think some at some point they were probably built upon reality it's just it's been muddied but again that's just my personal speculation at this point um last very speculative or, or penultimate very speculative question um so on the basis of the spirit world being eternal that you just kind of mentioned, you don't believe that, or you, again, I, I know you have no way of really knowing this, but you don't believe that it could be connected to say the lifespan of the earth or even the universe. Could there be something like that? Do you think? I know we're in speculative speculation region. Again, but, no uh, idea. Man. <laughs> no idea. Yeah. yeah. Cause I, I, you know, when I, when I think of these massive questions, I'm thinking, you know, could there be something like when the sun is is done for and and you know when everything in our universe is different maybe 
maybe the uh, the next life is different maybe the spirit way but again i pure speculation yeah, but i would speculate <laughs> that it is different you know what i mean yeah that it is different that, that, that we're talking it's... here about the physical physical mm. world you know the from so you speculate it's not based on that i don't think that. that it is no not at all no 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 i think mm. the two separate things altogether this is physical that's spiritual totally different yeah. i believe yeah yeah fascinating well i hope i hope you're right and again we've probably already got the answer from this some in different places in our conversation but your personal thoughts on on what happens after we die in as much or as little detail as you feel comfortable going well into. i think when we die what we do we leave behind the physical you know that includes our bodies obviously our physical bodies the physical world yeah. we leave that behind and then we um arrive in the spiritual world you know which is totally different totally different the spiritual world and within that world well but but that, i'm going to say but that's eternal but then life itself is eternal isn't it you know in this world we pass to the next so it's a journey it's a continuous journey you know so we're just the next stage of the journey when we leave this world you know yeah. and then and then hopefully we'll know everything i think i think it's a, a quote in in i think it was i can't remember who said it but it was in ralph blumenthal's book he's leslie kane's colleague actually oh, yeah. incidentally he wrote a biography of dr john mack um who's a former he's a, a late harvard professor and they that he was searching for these questions towards the end of his life the, the, you know what happens after we die and things like that and uh the quote at the end of the book was um now john mack knows everything i think something like that you know to that effect um and and i like i like that i like the kind of sentiment there um i've got no more major questions for you Stuart. so to wrap us up i'd love it if you could kind of spend a couple of minutes first of all talking about your book and then a couple of minutes talking about the cd album um and i say a couple of minutes but really as long as you want at this point it's more your deadline than mine at this point well what i will say about the book is that for quite a number of years the first um edition was published in 2010 okay the latest mm. one published in 2020 revised updated because obviously a lot had happened in the 10 years so i thought i must revise and update it now it came into being yeah. the original one came into being because for a number of years quite a few people had said to me over a lot, quite a period of time actually why don't you write a book you really ought to write a book you ought to love you know what's happened and blah 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 um, mm. and one of the reasons why i didn't want to do it was for reasons i've explained earlier about being a private person Publicity, yeah, yeah. the biggest regret i've got absolute biggest regret i've got then is that when finally i decided okay i'll write it i wrote it my goodness and i had my photograph on the front cover and i've regretted it ever since i really really have so in in this one you'll notice that there's no appear in in that so as i said earlier i see the book as a kind of legacy which hopefully will continue to speak for me when i'm no longer here because i have no doubt whatsoever that once i've gone that the skeptics will come out the woodwork. They might do before then, but they will definitely come out the woodwork when I've gone and I shall become another psychic bird. I've no doubt whatsoever. Mm. So hopefully that book can speak for me. So that 
And I think it will. And I think it does a remarkable job. And just to add a few words, I mean, it's the memoirs of a physical medium, an extraordinary journey. It, it does tell your journey. It tells your story. And it's fascinating. It's incredible to learn about, you know, the, the different mediums you've sat with, the, the people that have sat with you, the experiences that you've had. But then also the, the survival evidence that's contained within it is is compelling. It's an, I would say to anybody watching or listening, if you already are a, a kind of... I don't want to say a believer, but if you're already aware of the evidence for mediumship and that kind of stuff, then straight away read Stuart's book. If you're kind of on the fence about whether what we're saying is based in reality, go and read Leslie's book, Surviving Death. Read that and then you'll go and read Stuart's book. And and after you've read the two of those, come back to me or, or reassess your thoughts because they change, the two of them have changed my life, you know, really. Uh, that's lovely to hear. Lovely to hear. I was actually, I was actually going to say the skeptics and the cynics ought to read them, but then having said that, <laughs> if they don't read them, though, they don't really have the right to be skeptical and cynical about it or scoffers, like uh, like Stanley would say. I think anybody that's going to, you know, drag any of this through the mud or say it doesn't exist, it's not real. You've got to read, the, you've got to do the research first. You've got to look at the evidence. You've got to read the books. A skeptic is a skeptic, a cynic is a cynic. And I've no doubt whatsoever that even if they read both the books, they will still be cynical and skeptical. Maybe, maybe the hardcore, yeah. maybe the hardcore minority. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but come and tell us a little bit about the CD album as well. It's a compilation of physical seance room recollections from people who sat with some of the great mediums of the past. Um, but, but tell a little bit more information, how you compiled it and, and what it's all about and why people should, should yes. buy it. Yes, what actually, how it came into being then was the fact that back in 1990, a new a spiritualist organisation was launched called the Noah's Ark Society for Physical Mediumship. Which there's much more information yeah. about in there. <laughs> and it was launched basically because by then, the 1990, uh, physical mediumship had virtually disappeared from the movement of spiritualism. So the intention of the society was to help advise, inform, support circles, you know, uh, to sit for physical mediumship in the hope that once again it could be developed within the movement. And it met with oh, such success, it's unbelievable. Within, mm. within one year, it went from no circles at all to over 100 circles sitting all over the world trying to develop it wow. under the umbrella of the Noah's Art Society. Now, I was very, very fortunate to be appointed its archives officer and i think it was probably a matter of months before it suddenly dawned on me i thought well you know i've been very very fortunate over a period of time several years to meet and to sit down with elderly spiritualists who in years gone by have sat with some of these wonder mediums of the past, physical mediums of the past, mm -hmm. who today we can only read about because the long since gone. Yeah. Uh, and it occurred to me, I thought, but these elderly spiritualists, one by one, they're passing away. And as they're passing away, they're taking with them their recollections, which were so wonderful. You know, I thought, I've got to do something about this. And so I decided that I would create uh, a cassette tape I would invite senior spiritualists who had had these experiences to make contact with me. And then I asked mm. them if they would 
put their recollections onto cassette tape, send them to me. And I promised each and every one of them that their stories would not die, that they would always be available to present day and all future spiritualists. And I'm pleased to say quite a number of elderly spiritualists sent in their recordings. And I'd just like to read what I've written on the front here. Um, mm. So the title is Physical Seance Room Recollections. And then it's Wonderful Memories of Physical Phenomena as Told by Senior Spiritualists. On these CDs will be found a series of first-hand fascinating physical seance room accounts told by senior spiritualists who, in years gone by, were privileged to sit with mediums who today we can only read about. All the speakers witnessed and personally experienced the manifestations they describe and took the time and trouble to record them in audio form for the interest, education and benefits of contemporary and future spiritualists and all interested parties. That they did so prior to their own transition has left us with a marvellous legacy and we owe an incalculable debt to them all, often exceeding the boggle factor their amazing seance room recollections bring back to life the wonders of the past and thereby keep alive that which must never be forgotten. And then there are two CD discs in this. Uh, I refer to it um, as an album. And there are 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. There are 16, there's, I think it's 17 recordings here from senior spiritualists wow. yeah uh, and so to me it was a duty to keep their stories to make them forever available to spiritualists mm. and that is why i created the double cd out it actually began as a cassette uh, but then years later i realized that the cassettes were deteriorating, so I transferred or had them transferred onto CDs. So they are available. Yeah. And if anybody is interested, if they go onto my website, you will find information there as to how to order a copy. Yeah. Brilliant. And 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 if you're looking for Stuart's website, it's in the description. So just scroll down, you'll find it there. Um, I haven't listened to it yet, but I can't wait to to get to get I a copy and listen to that. How how long is each one? Oh, that would be so. That would be brilliant. I cannot tell you how Thank long you. each one is. I've no idea actually. Yeah. Approximately, maybe roughly. No, I wouldn't like to guess. <laughs> no I worries. Wouldn't like to guess. I'll, I'll update the description whenever I listen to it eventually. <laughs> Okay, then. <laughs> uh, and uh, and we'll let you know. Normally, I end these calls, Stuart, by asking for a, a brief message, uh, a, f a few words from my guest. I'm going to ask you for two messages, if that's okay. One, because I know that you like to, to, a big part of why you do what you do is to encourage people to form their own circles. So I, I guess to save you kind of choosing that as your message, I'd love to maybe just spend a minute kind of talking about that, maybe why you encourage people to do that. And then to really finish us off, I'll ask you to just kind of give a message. It can be anything, any words of wisdom or, you know, support, whatever it might right. be. Um, so, yeah, that's how I'd love us to finish well, off. Well, first of all, circles. Now, it's sad that today circles, well, they still exist, 
put in far lesser number than they used to exist for over 100 years. It is within the home circles that most of the wonder mediums of the past actually developed their gifts. You know, mm. to sit in a home circle where everyone sits in harmony, both all with the same hopes, is wonderful. To close the door and to lock outside, shut outside the outside world and sit together, it's wonderful. And even if nothing happens for weeks, months, it doesn't matter. You know, you're there, the spirit world are there, and they will be trying their best to make contact, to con develop one of the sitters so that they can work through them. Sadly, today, a lot of people think that by attending courses, they can be taught how to become a medium. Well, I'm sorry, but I don't believe that for a second. Now, a tutor, if they are knowledgeable, they can help, advise, encourage, support uh, a medium, uh, you know, a budding medium. They can do all of those things. But at the end of the day, we are in the hands of the spirit world. And I believe that the general deterioration of mediumship is down to the fact that circles now, once the very heartbeat of the movements, are not the heartbeat of the movement any longer, the few and far between. And I would urge anyone who is interested in the development of mediumship to first and foremost think in terms of forming a home circle. Sit with love, sit with patience, sit with harmony, and leave everything to the spirit world. That would be my advice. Yeah. Brilliant. Can I just ask one very brief question on that? It literally just a one or two word answer will, will suffice. But it's just in case anybody's wondering, is there, is there a minimum number of people to form oh. a circle that you would recommend? Like, could, could they do it with two or does it need to be a certain number? In Let me just say this to you. Two people sitting in total harmony, total harmony, with those two people, there is every possibility that the spirit world can do something. A greater number sitting in disharmony, there's very little chance that the spirit world can do anything. So it's not a question of numbers. It's a question of harmony between the sitters. Or in, or in kind of modern speak vibes, good oh, vibes. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Um, if, so if yeah, if it's just any little last. If just one person yeah. develops, one person develops, then mm. the circle as a whole gains. And I've always said yeah. that yes, my mediumship has developed, and within spiritualism, yes, my name is known. We know that. But had I not got my circle leader and his wife. And the rest of the circle mm. sitting with me, there would never have been a Stuart Alexander. I would never have developed, yeah. you know. So what, what yeah. has been achieved, we've achieved together as a united mm. all. It's not down to me mm. or not just the spirit world, yeah. but we've done it collectively as a whole. Yeah, and it must have helped your development that they've sat with you for so long. So, yeah, it really is a collective. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. amazing. Um, but, yeah, so to wrap us up, Stuart, just any kind of last words, words of wisdom, anything you want to say. It can be whatever you like, uh, anything you want to say to people watching and listening. Well, I haven't really given much thought or any thought to this at all, Ben. On the spot, on the spot totally on the on spot. spot, on the spot. <laughs> I will say this. You know, over the years, and particularly the last few years, 
I have received so many, many emails from people who have lost loved ones and they have been in a terrible situation, you know, which I fully and absolutely understand. Of course I do, because in life we all lose loved ones, you know. I can tell you that back in 2009, I lost one of my sisters and she had sat at my side in the circle for many years. Uh, and I can tell you that in spite of my knowledge, my circle's knowledge of survival and communication, in spite of that, I can tell you now, hand on heart, for several weeks, we couldn't sit. We just could not sit. Now, eventually, yes, we did. And it helps enormously. So I would say to people, it doesn't matter what religion they are. They can be a spiritualist, a Christian, a Buddhist, whatever. It doesn't matter. When you lose a loved one, you will grieve. That is human. Obviously, you will grieve. But if you know that there is survival and communication, then eventually it helps enormously. And I hope over the years with all of these emails I've received from bereaved people, you know, and I cannot answer them in a couple of lines. I have to write half a book to them. You know, that's just me. Uh, and I just hope that I've been able to help with their grieving process. So I say to anyone who views, listens, whatever, this interview, I say to them all, listen, you may have no knowledge or little knowledge concerning spiritualism, concerning survival and communication. But I can tell you, hand on heart, having spent so many, many years of my life working with the spirit world, I can tell you that when you become bereaved, please know that your loved ones live on and they live on in a world of infinite beauty, the likes of which we cannot possibly begin to imagine. We cannot explain what it is like. We just can't. In spite of my contact with the spirit world all these years, I can't say, but one thing I do know is that when your loved one passes, they will enter that wonderful world and be reunited with their lost loved ones and friends. That's all I can say. That's amazing, Stuart. Thank you so much. That was that was incredible. I, I'm I'm so appreciative of, of you giving me all your time today, and and I'm and I'm honoured that you you spoke to me, and and I've loved this conversation every minute of it. Fascinating and and informative, and and full of hope. You know, I I, I love it, and I'm like I say, I'm so thankful and grateful. To well, you. I thank you for inviting me, Ben. I've really enjoyed it, and it's uh, lovely to meet up at last. Yeah, yeah. Until until we managed to do it in the flesh, this will have to do. But it was it was great to to virtually meet you, and uh, I, I wish you all the very best. And I wish you the same, Ben. Okay. Thank you, Stuart. Take my care. Pleasure. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for watching my conversation with Stuart Alexander. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and are now compelled to research more about this paradigm-challenging phenomenon. Please see the links in description to get the books mentioned in the episode, notably Stuart's book, An Extraordinary Journey, The Memoirs of a Physical Medium. Whatever you thought about this interview, I strongly encourage you to get a copy of and read that book to learn more about the phenomenon of physical mediumship and about Stuart himself. It's truly fascinating and will no doubt answer many of the questions you have right now. 
please subscribe to continue unraveling the universe with us. And if you want to help us keep making videos, please consider supporting us via Patreon. Thank you.